0: To JJ, Ryan, Tom, and Brooks. Brooks, how are you? How's uh, the day been so far here in Atlanta
1: for you? I'm doing great. Uh, it has been great. Second time that the event has been in here in Atlanta. The second time we've been here to Atlanta. Uh, different setup for us. As, as you said, we're in the College Football Hall of Fame. There's uh, a lot of stuff around us. We, we're in one of the back corners of the building along Radio Row. And if I look to my left, there is a display of, with old college uniforms. Behind me is a display of old college football trophies in front of me is the history of college football marking the 150 years of college football, which happened a few years ago It is just so much college football around us. And what better place to have the college, uh, the SEC media days than the college football hall of fame, Uh, gotten to speak to a lot of great people today, gotten to, you know, get into the vibe of football season uh, a little bit, heard from the commissioner first thing this morning, uh, we'll talk more about what he said Um, and don't want to, uh, let this pass by because we are going to be focused mostly on college football uh, but a couple of Auburn Tigers have gone in the MLB draft I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on but shout out to uh, I believe it's about up to five now yeah uh, Tigers have been drafted in the uh, in MLB draft so shout out to all of them and can't wait to get ready on the show today
0: yeah the sports world moves on we've got SEC media days here but of course all-star week festivities taking place for major league baseball we've got the home run derby later tonight the draft is ongoing and more, so so many things that we'll discuss here today. Uh, As we're live from SEC Media Days at the College Football Hall of Fame, Ryan LaVoy, how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing quite well, and uh, this is obviously a different setup for us than the first time we were in Atlanta, and I have not talked with you personally about it yet, but I think we're having a good time here in this new setup. We're certainly uh, right in it, and uh, I, I think they've done a good job of balancing everything out because, of course, we're referring to back in 2018, we were in the Omni Hotel for Radio Row. It was set up there. You had electronic media. You had a uh, big dining area where everyone had drinks and and, and had the meals, but then you also had the College Football Hall of Fame, and that's where the SEC network was set up. That's where the main stage was, and, of course, the interviews or or the main press conferences, rather, with the commissioner and then all 14 SEC had football coaches. Now there is still an element in Omni Hotel. I believe there's still that dining hall area uh, and and still electronic media, so like a uh, more succinct version of the press conferences and interviews. But now uh, in the main College Football Hall of Fame building, not only do you have the elements you had last time with uh, the main press area and the SEC network and that sort of thing, but now on Level two, we're set up, and I can tell you that they did jam all 30 tables or so in. Um, We are literally looking at the rivalries of the sport kind of in our face within almost arm's length, and we see the Alabama and Auburn rivalry right behind us, which makes a lot of sense for where we're put. Um, but uh, that's also why, you know, spacing a little bit of an issue because everyone is really jammed together, and we have a good look at 10 or 12 other tables within our periphery. So, uh, but, but nevertheless, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, we've heard interesting things so far today, nothing earth-shattering as we anticipated, uh, but uh, all together here in the College Football Hall of Fame, and that's something Commissioner Sankey mentioned not to take for granted because we saw how the last year or two turned out. So very excited to be here. I think this is going to be uh, a really good week, a good week of information, a good week to get to talk to people and uh, having a good time so far. Tom,
0: Tom, how are you are doing.
3: Ah, uh, I'm good. I, I feel like I've been rushed. I, I was not able to check into my hotel today until 3 uh, Eastern time, which gave me an hour to get checked in, get everything unloaded. I got over here, figured out where I was supposed to go, got myself registered, got on up here, and pretty much rushed in to get on yeah. the show with you guys. So, but I, I'm I'm excited. I, I love being at different places. I don't mind Birmingham, but it's nice to be at somewhere different. And uh, what better place than the College Football Hall of Fame? And as uh, Ryan mentioned, we're sitting here kind of in the, the rivalry section. Yeah. Sitting here looking at this wall of – stuff there's a big axe from the Minnesota Wisconsin rivalry of course I've got we've got the iron bowl big thing right behind my shoulder here so uh I'm looking forward to it and it's nice to always come to media days and see familiar faces see some guys and uh and women that uh we talked to on the show on the phone but now we actually get to see them in person sit there and talk it's way to different them. yeah a lot, lot of uh, familiar faces and then of course just seeing the coaches the players and uh just kind of enjoying the whole atmosphere of everything
0: which we certainly love. It's good to take in the atmosphere of all of this and what a setting this is with, as you mentioned, the College Football Hall of Fame here on the second floor. Uh, There's windows down the walkway where we can look into the main room where the commissioner and all of the head coaches will take to the podium. Here we've got all these rivalry displays. Once again, we mentioned the Iron Bowl. Uh, We've got Harvard and Yale, that great rivalry. Wow, My uh, Army and Navy, Oklahoma and Texas. That's an SEC rivalry. Notre Dame and USC, uh, Cal and Stanford, Michigan and Ohio State, and then in the very back, how about Grambling and Southern? That's right. Getting a little bit of love there in the College Football Hall of Fame. Isn't that like the Bible? You're telling me. <laughs> <It's the> Bible. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's going to continue to be fun throughout the week. And again, we can't do this. Uh, with all our great folks and support back at Tiger Communications at the management and sales level and then also uh, within our Sports Call family. Thanks again to Cam Berry and Brant Daughtry for their hard work behind the scenes, and we've got a lot of great conversations coming up here throughout the week. All right, so, Brooks, we talk about the commissioner being here and opening up the SCC Media Days. Anything in particular stand out to you from what Commissioner
1: Sankey had to say? No, I mean, nothing... Earth-shattering, as Ryan said. There's there's no groundbreaking news. Uh, talked a little bit about uh, you know how he uh, and and a lot of college football people uh, were in the camp of how the nil the problems that are surfaced with nil over the last year after it's been in 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 place for a year are the ones that you know they said were probably going to be in place when you had states uh, state laws coming in and there was no national thing. So he said, you know, talked about how he him and other leaders of college football continue to. Uh, press Congress to try to have a national NIL ruling, but he, he p- talked about you know different things that were happening in Congress that the NIL is not at the top of their uh, their uh, list of to do things right now. Uh, also talked about the fluid situation of college football um, uh, conference realignment, and uh, several times he made the comment uh, that the sec was already a super conference and he has been he said he i've said that for about seven years now that the sec is already a super conference and he said that they are they do listen when people call and he said people have called them and they they do listen but there is uh nothing that is happening right now in the conference realignment he said the sec he likes where they're at right now but uh apparently people have uh reached out and said uh we really like what you're doing and uh how can we be a part of it but nothing is. Uh, nothing apparently is formulating right now, according to the commissioner. Um, and of course, we know the fluidity of college football. Anything can change in a day. Uh, he also talked about uh, someone asked him his reaction to the uh, USC-UCLA news going to the Big Ten. He said, well, I just got to vacation at the lake when that happened. I had no idea it was going to happen. And so he had to get on phone calls and stuff right then when he uh, got to his lake house and was, uh, was uh, occupied with that. So like, not, nothing too groundbreaking. It was interesting that he, you know, didn't make the comment that people do, you know, have reached out, and but no, there was nothing imminent or anything that that he could announce. Uh, I think that was the biggest takeaway that people like, and we expected that. We expected that other schools had reached out to the SEC. I know there's been all these sorts of uh, different, um, all these sorts of different uh, things happening in the conference, that uh, all the rumors circulating around uh, with with conference realignment and it. it Commissioner Sankey kind of said yeah there's people are reaching out but nothing's happening
2: yeah no I, I think that um there was obviously no breaking news and technically like we last year we saw there was but it was not because of anything that was set up at the podium it was just kind of released out there during media days that Oklahoma and Texas would be joining the league it was not something that anyone said was happening, it just got reported at the same time, got leaked out. So, again, nothing we heard was anything earth-shattering. I I think just if people want to hear a few tidbits, uh, the commissioner was asked if he thought um, the USC and UCLA moving to the Big Ten was uh, as powerful as Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC, and he said no, he believed Oklahoma and Texas trumped um, UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, and he also kind of cited something that I had not thought about when I made this case last week, that you get some rivalries renewed, potentially, depending on kind of also how you do the the scheduling model, but you get Texas and Texas A&M again. Uh, You get Arkansas involved with some of their old friends from prior to them joining the SEC, you get Missouri back involved with some of these schools. So I, I think that's something that also would really help. And, again, another avenue in which I would push, please do the three plus six model. But along those lines, something that Commissioner Sankey was talking was important to the SEC, important to their members, was something we don't always think about. We we're think about it from the playoff perspective and what would be best to get as many teams into whatever playoff format that we eventually have. But he also mentioned, and I think a lot of people would probably not like this amongst the big schools in the sec, but he also mentioned the importance of maintaining the ability to be bowl eligible for all the teams in the league. And of course that doesn't necessarily matter to half the league. I mean, you know, LSUs not going to care if they limp in at six and six. Auburn does not care if they limp in at six and six. And certainly programs like Alabama and Georgia would be besides themselves at six and six or seven and five. But, um, You know, trying to also recognize that he is the commissioner for 14 and soon to be 16 teams and not just half the league. And so, how do you still make Missouri proud of their program? How do you still uh, give credence to the growth that the Mississippis and that South Carolina want to portray? And so, you know, that is something that would be concerning if you're part of the crowd that wants to see nine games because at Uh, nine games in the conference is obviously going to be more difficult to come up with the six wins required to get bowl eligibility. And so I don't think that is the chief concern. I think that's just one of the things that the SEC is thinking about and trying to cover all of its bases. But nevertheless, there are things in there that suggest that both eight and nine games are very viable and that there is not a clear path right now or I should say a clear preference to either one amongst the league. And and that's something that I just personally want to see. I want to see it go up to nine games. But if you're reading between the lines there, there is some some suggestion there that eight and nine games probably very even – right now amongst the league's thought process.
0: And we just want answers at the end of the day. We want to know what it is right now, uh, what college football could look like in the future, and it might take some time. That was Commissioner Sankey, our reaction to some of the things that he had to say. Plenty more conversation coming as well. Again, we are live right now from SEC Media Days in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame. Let's take a quick timeout, and Sports Call continues after this.
4: Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at SportsCallAuburn.com. Welcome back in at Sports Call Tiger
0: 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app live from SEC Media Days in Atlanta. JJ Jackson. Here with Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress, and uh, man, what a fun day. It's been a good first day, still plenty to talk about, plenty of great guests will join us throughout our show. Talking season is here, and we're going to be talking a lot about the 2022 season, what could be for Auburn football this upcoming season. Auburn's not until Thursday, though, Tom, so (laughs) a lot of conversation until we get there. Yeah, we got got a lot of talking to do with uh, a lot of people before we get to Auburn, but and that's what makes it cool,
3: is, is just getting to talk to so many, peop- so many people. And uh, Yeah, I mean, we've got plenty of questions to ask about Auburn. I think that's one of the big questions here at Media Days right now, is where is Auburn at uh, as a program? Obviously, uh, the off season was uh, tumultuous, to say the least. Uh, you know Brian Harsin is going to be faced with a lot of questions about uh, the supposed, I guess, investigation, if you want to uh, you call it a supposed investigation. Rumored investigation.
2: Someone described earlier as a coup.
3: A coup. Yeah. <laughs> an, atti- an attempted coup d'etat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's going to be faced with those questions. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, that's going to be a focus on what a lot of people are going to say, not what, not what the team's looking like on the field. Um, they're going to be asking him that. And then, of course, also with recruiting, because right now uh, the fan base is not very happy with the, with the way recruiting is going. When you compare it to some of the other teams around the league, so a lot of questions to be asked about Auburn, and uh, it's going to be a lot of questions about Auburn leading up until that first game.
0: Let me get a phone call in here. Again, coming up at 3:30 Central Time, we're going to have Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's joining us on today's show. 334-887-3401 to be a part of Sports Call. Let's go to the phone lines. Zeus, who has called in today?
4: Montgomery. James, James from,
0: Montgomery from Montgomery has called into the show. Hello there, James. Tell us what's on your mind. Hello. Hi, James. Hello. Hello, sir. Can you hear us? Hello. All right. Hello. We'll try to connect with James yeah. a little bit later in the program. I think we were having a hard time. Hearing from James. Let's try another phone call. Let, let's go ahead, if we can, back in the studio and, and let's move on to our next caller. We'll drop James and try and transition. What about Wardam Steve? Is Wardam Steve available to chat with us here on Sports hey, Call good today?
4: Gentlemen. Hi, Steve. Hey, guys.
0: Steve, can you hear us? you hear me? Okay. All right, we'll you'll, think, uh, fix those engineering issues back there. Sorry about that, Steve. We will just talk amongst Hello, ourselves and bring Sports Call. Let's get Steve out of here and um, – move forward there so uh here is sports call live from scc media days radio <laughs> row technology in 2022 live radio we're live gonna run radio. into some snazoos here and there snafus um, snaf-oos. snafus i'm recreating snazz-oos. words Snazoos. <laughs> snazzus snazoos
3: sounds like something we could talk about on wacky wednesday right yeah you know. no doubt
0: about that but uh, uh anything you wanted to add from our conversation we were having a little bit earlier Tom?
3: It, no i mean everything everything was already said pretty much um uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is a lot of questions with uh, with what's going on within the whole just kind of spectrum of college football. I mean, the SEC, but all the other uh, conferences as well, and just the, the shifting landscape of everything, how it's going to affect the SEC. How is it not going to affect the SEC? I, I don't see how it will not. But, uh, I, you know, just a, a lot of interesting stuff there with just the, the general landscape of college football as it is.
0: It is. It is interesting to see kind of what it's going to look like in the future. That's what I keep saying. I think a lot of people want to know right now in this moment what is it going to look like. And unfortunately, we just don't have that answers. It's a lot of speculation on possibly things to come.
1: Yeah, it's – you know, everyone wants to – Commissioner Sankey mentioned it. Everybody out in the – every writer out there wants to be – have the next article out ready to go. When the the USC, UCLA stuff broke, he he talked about how – you know, a lot of you guys out there were, uh, you know, looking at trying to figure out who's got this scoop, who's got that scoop, who knows what. And sometimes you just don't know. Um, and Commissioner Sinke, on that same note, said there was, uh, quote, no sense of urgency with the conference to do anything. And so it, it's, you know, you're trying to get the, you know, trying to find out what's happening next in college football. But, you know, with the SEC, it may be, you know, a while before we know what's next with them because there's the, the the peers from what uh, the commissioner said, there's not really a sense of urgency to move, a, move forward with anything right now, that they're, they're satisfied with the quote-unquote super conference they have.
0: Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try for Steve one more time in this moment, and this will set the tone for the rest of the week for us. Uh-oh. So uh, <laughs> let's go and see if technology wants to work with us here today. As we go to our Auburn Bank phone line, we're going to chat with our good pal, retired Rory Steve. Steve, can you hear us? Good afternoon. I hear you guys. All let's right. Go. There God. we go.
4: All right. So let's start off the bank. Go for this it. Over the weekend uh, on a podcast called Next Round. Here's a quote, guys. For the people who keep bothering this man, I wish somebody would just slap the hell out of them.
0: Yeah, we're going to – that was Charles Barkley Charles on bang. the next round. We're going to take Steve off the God, air right now. We're gonna take Steve off. That I don't. That's not huh? good. The quali- We got some feedback. Huh. Steve's off, and yeah, we're hey gonna guys, chat I here amongst today. ourselves. We don't hear you well, Steve. We don't hear you, don't you hear well. Me? So we don't hear you well. Let's hang up, please, with I'm Steve, Cam and Brant. Let's hang up with Steve, please. And here we are amongst ourselves. That was Charles Barkley on the next round, and I appreciated Barkley's remarks. I think a lot of uh, Auburn people were really behind him, and, uh, and and were agreeing with him. Like, yeah, if, if let's let's support whoever the head coach is, it's kind of silly to call yourselves a fan of the school at any point. We did this in the Gus Malzahn tenure at any point. Why would you root for somebody not to succeed? It just makes zero sense. And so I'm glad Barkley made those comments. Super glad for it. It
3: it. It was good that he made those comments. Um, And and unfortunately that's kind of where you're at right now with Auburn is you have a split in the fan base, Uh, you know, I don't think that they, if you look at basketball, for instance, with Bruce Pearl, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that is anti-Bruce Pearl at Auburn. There may be one that just doesn't like his demeanor kind of the way he is, but few and far between. But with Brian Harson you have a very, very definite split in the fan base. You have some that are ready to fire him immediately, uh, like today, and – then you have the others that want to support him and want to support whoever is going to be the coach and give him the time that he needs to do. Barkley seems like he's on that. and So, uh, you know, for him to step up, um, that's a uh, – it, it's always good. If, you, if you've if you got somebody big named like that that's willing to step up and have your back and support you, then, then good for him. And good on Charles Barkley for doing that because uh, right now I think Brian Harson needs all the words of support that he could possibly get from the Auburn family.
2: Yeah, well, and, I mean, one year in – I know that it's been a very disappointing year again I stress with people like if you're going to make a change you're not going to just boom your your first year like I, I get Gus Malzahn was able to do that but that was someone that was around the program um, only in the not in the program in 2012 he had been in it the prior three years had good offenses and then catches lightning in the ball in 2013. People ultimately still were not happy with the way it turned out for Gus. And, and while I was not ready to move on from him, most people were. And if you're going to move on from an 8-9 win coach, then you're going to have to have a, a, a tear down and a rebuild of what you're doing with your program because what you were doing is not what you wanted. And so you needed to have a change in philosophy, which Auburn has, and a change of character, which is what Auburn has been trying to do. And, and let me tell you, philosophy is easier to change than character because character is a very deeply rooted issue. And I'm not saying the character was bad under Gus Malzahn. That's not what I'm insinuating. But Brian Harson has a very much more work hard, get dirty, at all cost attitude. Gus was more laid back. He was very, you know, proud of the offense that he built and of his philosophy, and very secretive of it at times. But Brian Harson is very forthcoming with the fact that we're going to work hard. We're going to try to outwork people, not out-scheme, which is more what Malazan preferred to do. So when you're changing a complete program attitude like that, that is not a a bust or, excuse me, a boom situation there where you just walk in and it's just better all of a sudden and so there's growing pains and if Auburn keeps going six and six well you know what a change will happen but one year of it is not grounds Auburn didn't fire on after he had a six and six year so we need to stop doing this where one mediocre and poor season changes everything there are certain things that you can't accept you can't accept a three and nine 2012 where the team clearly quit you can't do those things. But just starting out at a 6-6 six and six marker and trying to revamp everything about the program is not worth the, the full-out backlash. And again, you know, the the controversy around everything in the spring and, and what the behind-the-scenes people were trying to cook up, you know, that's not characteristic of a very functional athletic department. So everything has just got to fall in lockstep get behind the coach, and I think in in very much simpler terms, that's what Charles Barkley was going for.
0: Let's go ahead and we'll take our next commercial break here on a Monday sports call. It's July 18th. We hope everyone's doing well. We're at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. Our good buddy Lynn Scarborough set to join the show right after this quick timeout. A commercial break. Back at the station, you're listening to the Abbey Award-winning sports call.
4: Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m.
0: I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here from Radio Row with Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy, Ryan Lavoie. We've got the whole Sports Call crew here, and now we are uh, incredibly honored, excited to join Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Sports here with us, and an Auburn alum himself, and Lindy, this conversation's long overdue. Thanks for making time for us hey, today. Thanks, now,
5: I appreciate it, JJ. There're going to be some people in your audience that know me, yeah, and they're trying to call into the station right now and say, <laughs> "Honored, honored is not the right <laughs> verb." <laughs> so, just don't whatever whatever they come in, don't let me know them. That's let me right. know what the cause are. Now, glad to be on with you. And I want to say before we start, uh, it's been a real privilege, yeah, uh, to be on your station. Uh, the Lindy's Football Report. We're going into our tenth year uh we started with y'all maybe for first year we did it i know we had 13 stations in two states right we had a, more than 100 stations in 14 states last year uh and we're real privileged to be on with y'all we appreciate it very much and we appreciate the people that listen to you i have people from time to time tell me i heard i heard you on your right network appreciate that and urge the folks that are listening to us uh let this station know that you appreciate things they have on the air and give patronage to the advertisers. Because if, uh, if we didn't have the advertisers in this station and others, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Uh, I know I feel blessed that my career has been able to be sports journalism. No kidding. And if it weren't for the patrons that we've got that listen to us and read us and, uh, and uh, give loyalty to our advertisers, we'll be able to do this.
0: And the advertisers are the reason we get to be here at events like this and travel, and there's expenses that go into it. And so, exactly. I appreciate you saying that. And we will have the big announcement again uh, on Friday nights this fall right. going into our high school broadcast for Beauregard High School Football here on right. WTGZ 95.9. The Lindy's football report every Friday night after a Sports Call goes off the air. You hear from the great folks at Lindy's, and then we'll jump into some high school football coverage on Fridays. What's on those shows? What can people expect to hear if, well, if the, they haven't heard the, it before? The
5: first, the first half of our show, we do more of a national picture. Okay, uh, we'll talk about things that happened the previous week. Uh, we'll have interviews with coaches and players. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll look at we'll look at that. Um, the second part is more about uh the upcoming ball games we are not a exclusively southeastern conference show right uh we've got we've got affiliates in other parts of the country uh but it's primarily our footprint southeast and the big majority of our stations are in the southeast uh region uh we'll do predictions on the games uh i would say i have i have to predict the games every week uh any of you that have got your favorite bookie i would say you do not want to go by (laughs) what i say so save your money spend it on your children's shoes or something don't uh but I make picks every week. Uh, we do an upset of the week, um, and we basically we talk about talk about the ball games, project what's happening and what's been happening, and uh, and we try to give try to give a lot of emphasis on the southeast, but have something for people that keep up with national college football as well.
0: In your career, how hard has it been able to separate heart from the brain, and kind of what what? Well, know, it
5: would be. I mean, because you've
0: you, got the Auburn ties, yeah, obviously. You got to be honest about and it. And that's the, something that we. We have a really difficult time doing yeah. it ourselves. Well,
5: I try not to. Yeah. Um, we, but the the thing is, it's a little easier for you because you're you're in a uh, control market. Sure. I mean I mean people can stream and everything, but you know I mean you're in Lee County, right? And the and the surrounding area, Central Alabama, where you know we've got magazines all over the country. We'll we'll sell probably seven hundred thousand three quarters of a million magazines this year, um, uh, and that's nationwide. Uh, and and of course our radio network is all over, and we. You know, we cover, I've, I mean, I've been privileged to be able to cover the College World Series and Final Fours and college championship games and most every bowl game because I've been doing this a long time, and there are people in your audience right now that are shaking their head and saying, yeah, <laughs> boy, you sure have. Um, but, but, yeah, it is, but you've got, you've got to, you know, you're, you're trained in journalism to, uh, to be objective. That's right. And to be fair. There's a difference between writing a story and doing a column, and I do both. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a columnist. And in my columns, I I can go with opinion. Uh, I've written some pretty ugly things about Auburn over the years, uh, but they deserved it. And uh, I hope I've written some really good things about them that people have enjoyed. Uh, Our stories, I did the, uh, in in Lindy's South Magazine that's out now, uh, I did write the team story. Uh, It's a seven, eight-page feature. And uh, I hope that anybody that reads it will think subjective. Um, you know, I've written written columns about a lot of things relating to Auburn and a lot of things not relating to Auburn. Um, and um, and I hope I've done a good job at, uh, at being objective about it. You know, I would I wish that everything that I wrote about was about Auburn winning everything they ever did and everything being wonderful. Unfortunately, that's not uh, that's not the reality of life.
3: Well, And I I'm glad you mentioned that, because I guess and it's something that I've experienced uh, from my time working in the newspaper. And even on radio, I'm sure these guys have it. You get the Auburn fans, and they just expect that you're going to talk sunshine and rainbows to them, but I mean the, yeah, I guess you have to get the, under- the auburn fans to understand. And it. you've got, it's no, not I'm, always great that you're going to tell the bad
5: stuff. And it's not just our fan base. I mean, it's that way in this, in this room right here, there are 12 or 15 radio stations that carry the Lindy's Football Report. Right. Uh, and they would love it for everything that we pump out every week uh, to be a bed of better roses. <laughs> but, but it's not. You know, and so you've got to you've got to tell it like it is. If you're not going to be objective, and uh, why would anybody listen to you? And we we try. We we give in our in our publications. Uh, we have more content than anybody else, uh, probably by a pretty substantial margin. A lot of people uh, that have done what we've done over the years are now out of business. There, when I started doing this, well, I've been working with Lindy's 32 years, and uh, we've been in business. This is our 41st year, and there are. double figure you couldn't count on on all your fingers the people that used to do what our do what we do that don't exist anymore right but a number of years ago it became obvious that we couldn't just do just do print we started out doing print now we've got an active website Uh, we do contest and and and, uh, feature type things we do a special edition for the winner of the Super Bowl the uh, World Series Sometimes the basketball championships and always the winner of the uh, football championship, the college football championship, um, have had the opportunity to do a couple of, of those on Auburn. Uh, I've had a whole lot of opportunity to do them on Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and, but, the, but the good thing about it is about, about being able to cover the SEC and being in the market that we're in, since since 2003, you've had five. No, you had to go back to 98 for Tennessee. Since 98, you've had five SEC teams win the national championship. Since, uh, since 2003, you've had four SEC teams win the national championship, and, and others play for them that they lost. Big Ten, they like to think that they're the you know, up there with, uh, with the SEC. Uh, Ohio State has won a couple. That's it. Um, you've had, on, on the Pac-12, uh, you've had Oregon play for it twice, You had Washington be in there for it. Um, You've had a couple of teams from the uh, – you hadn't had one win it. I'm trying to remember how long it's been since they win it. Texas won it in 2004. Right. Um, But in the SEC, Alabama's won like six. Uh, LSU's won two. Auburn's won two. Georgia's won one. Georgia's lost one. Auburn's lost one. uh, LSU's lost at least one. Uh, So it's a common thing that the SEC – uh does this but it's not just in football i was out i was at the college world series again this year we, yeah. have, we had three sec teams last time i was out there we had four sec teams and that's auburn's been to the college world series three times when there were multiple sec teams and look at gymnastics look at swimming look at you know the sec dominates things i thought it was interesting this morning um i think that uh, commissioner sankey and and I'm probably like y'all, I've he's been doing it now since uh, Commissioner Slav, you know, had his cancer, and, and he had to take over in 2015, and I've listened to every one of the talks yeah. that that Commissioner Sankey's doing, and usually they're fluff, but I thought he really stepped up to the plate today, and put more meat into what he said. Sure. In any other time. And maybe part of that is because what I was going on. Because he addressed hey he didn't duck questions and that's one thing I like about him. He's pretty straight up. But he talked about is it going to be an eight game or a nine game conference schedule when Texas Oklahoma comes in and the and the disadvantages that a nine I'm personally a proponent of nine games. But there's some disadvantages to that and he talked about that. He talked about the uh, the college playoffs. What's going to happen with that? With all this realignment stuff, I personally uh, uh, support an eight-game schedule, and I've written a couple columns about that. But I, I really don't like a twelve-game because it's going to cause people to have buys, and I don't think you ought to have buys. Twelve-team
0: th- playoff. A
5: twelve-team playoff. Yeah. That's right. Twelve-team playoff because in the College World Series, in the Final Four, or in the, the NCAA tournament, those type of things you don't have buys. Right. And I don't like the idea of having buys. But he gave some reasons why having twelve would make. Sense, i I listened to him i'm not going to change my mind probably right but 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 he did give some you know some sense on it uh he addressed very in much detail this name image, likeness mess and and what it's doing and the same with the transfer portal and guys i i think as what happens look i'm an old conservative guy anybody that knows me knows that i don't like things to change a whole lot and i like things to be traditional uh i'm afraid that in politics these days that in economics, that certainly in sports, that people do things without thinking about what the ramifications of them are going to be. It sounds nice. It sounds nice. Those players aren't able to get money. Let's give them a stipend. Let's give them a way to make money. Uh, that evolves into the NIL and look at all the problems that's causing. Okay? You've got players. If coaches go from one school to another, a player ought to be able to do that. Players ought to be able to not be stuck. So we go to the transfer portal. Except, look, what's that's caused? And, you know, I think that chaos. Ca- yeah. Exactly, chaos. And, and if you had really thought about it, you would have known it was going to cause chaos. If you said, okay, you can, uh, you can transfer twice or you can't transfer to a team in your own conference or you've got to wait. You know, but to saying you can go willy-nilly, how many, uh, how many teams will this be that uh, uh, Powell has played basketball for? Too many. Is it three or four? He played for, played for Auburn, Austin, played for, Auburn played for Tennessee, now he's going to Washington State. Right. Yeah. He's got another year to transfer. Right. So don't, don't feel like he's doing all of them. And I don't want to criticize transfers, the transfer portal idea, because where would Auburn be in basketball – Without the transfer portals, right? Bruce Pearl and his staff have done a magnificent job. They have. of combining high school recruiting with transfer portals. So I don't. The National
0: be... Defensive Player of the Year is yeah, a transfer exactly. this exactly. past year for I mean, Walker Kessler. Yeah,
5: I don't want to be hypocrite about it. However, I, I would have liked it had they done the transfer portal deal with some rules up front instead of trying to make them now. It would have been better if they'd come up with this national uh, the uh, name, image, likeness deal. don't try, it's like my grandmother would have said, trying to get the horses back in the barn after the gates open. Well, they opened the gate and they didn't care where the horses went and now they're trying to rein them in. And that's not an easy thing to do. And um, so just a whole lot going on in, and it doesn't just affect football because it affects amateur athletics in general. The NIL applies to baseball and basketball and all just the same. Right. And, and, in, in the Olympics. I remember when they had the, uh, the first dream team in 92, I guess it was. Right. Out Barkley and, and Magic Johnson. Jordan. Jordan, all those guys. Well, obviously that's the best team in the world. But they're playing in the, in the Olympics. They're supposed to be amateur athletics. Well, it isn't amateur athletics anymore. Right. Because now in so many sports, you've got it different. Birmingham had the World Games this past week. They did. And they did. I don't know if y'all watched it much. They did a magnificent job. I'm from Hueytown, Alabama. <laughs> I'm actually from Rock Creek, which is out in the country outside Hueytown. And I was skeptical when they said Birmingham, Alabama's got the world games. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have they done? <laughs> is this nuts? But they did, a, they did a wonderful job. But those people in the sports they did are still still primarily amateur. Right. And I'm afraid the line has blurred too much between amateur and, you know, when – and I don't, I don't, I don't know the details. But when a quarterback goes to Texas, and he's going to make more money than a lot of head coaches, uh, something doesn't seem right about that to me. And but what do you, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Every state has different laws that affect it. It's just, I don't know. It's just, we, we've done a lot of things well, that make the sports chaotic.
0: And I think to to talk about what Commissioner Sankey had to say about that point exactly, a question was directly asked to him, like, what are some of those holdups in Congress? That we're experiencing and the commissioner was also quick to point out that you know you have major topics in the world right now yep. with russia and what's taking place and then also with uh econ you know the economics that are currently here elections always going there's a lot of different things yep. in the world that need attention on top of the fact that uh, there's a lot of chaos in college football and the
5: world has gotten so small yeah and communication so quick we started I've I've had the privilege to work in the nation of Ukraine for about 25, 26 years, and we started an American football team in Lugansk uh, back in the early 2000s. Okay. Uh, the Lugansk the Lugansk Pan- Panthers. And um, it's a fun fact that, of
0: the day. All there right. you go.
5: And we also we, we took a we took a coaching clinic over to Eastern Ukraine in Donetsk. Uh, those places have been bombed off the map. And that coach has now had to evacuate out of the country, and he's now coaching the team in Romania. And, uh, and here we are in Atlanta, Georgia, and we can do a direct tie to a coach that's in Romania because Vladimir Putin is blowing people away with bombs. I mean, that's what our world has become. Uh, and a, a, lot has, a lot has changed in our world, J.J., that's not for the good. It's crazy to keep up with everything,
0: you know, in, in college football. We're chatting here with Lynn Scarborough from Lindy Sports. Uh, we take a look at Auburn, the on the field product for what we can expect going into this 2022 season. Uh, quarterback position is where you have to start with any football yep. team. And um, Calzada, Finley, you know, a lot of people liked what Ashford. they saw out of Robbie Ashford, yep. Yep. Uh, the Hoover product at, at the spring game. Uh, I think you're in the Zach Calzada camp, if I remember that correctly.
5: Yeah, yeah, more or less. Um, I think he's got more experience. Um, And, you know, of course, he beat Alabama, but then they also lost some games. He did not have a good game against Auburn. Um, So he's been, you know, he's been inconsistent. Uh, Finley was certainly inconsistent. Um, You know, yeah, here's the deal. I think Auburn is better than what people think they're going to be. The problem is who you play and where you play them. You know, every year when we make our predictions, you're not always necessarily picking that the the team – are, are you picking the best team or are you picking the team that's going to finish the highest? And that's not always the same because, you know, Mississippi State played in the SEC championship game. Missouri mm-hmm. played in the championship game twice. Do you think they have the best team? No way. They got, they got <laughs> their brains beat out. Right. But the schedule allowed them to play ball games. And so um, I think Auburn is, Auburn is better than a lot of people. We picked. Hey, look, We picked Auburn last in the Western Division. So have several other people. Do I think Auburn's going to go the whole time not win any ball games? Of course not. Auburn's a better team than that. It would not surprise me, quite frankly, to see Auburn win their first five or six games. But but they also could lose three out of the first six games. And they could have a really good team, a better-than-average team, and lose three ball games by the middle of the season. And if that's the case, I hope that Auburn fans, which I'm not just picking on our fans, I'm picking on picking on fans in general, but... LSU, for example, I was just on with a couple of LSU guys. they open Kelly's first game uh, he opens with Florida State at an, at a neutral field okay later later in the in the month, about four or five weeks later, he plays at Auburn, he also plays at Tennessee, he plays at Florida, and he plays I think at it might be Georgia
0: mm-hmm.
5: uh, no, it's Alabama, so he plays at Auburn at Alabama, at Tennessee at Florida. And he opens with Florida State. That to me doesn't, that doesn't sound like for a team that's got a new coaching staff coming in and they lost about 20 players or something. Yeah. to You know, is that a real formula for winning? You no, know, I don't know. Is it is it a formula for winning that you lost your offensive coordinator, you lost your defensive coordinator, your starting three-year quarterback has gone to another school, so you don't know who your quarterback's going to be. Right. Uh, and you op- you're uh, playing. Uh, on the, on the home field of the two teams that played for the national championship, and you're playing Texas A&M, and you're playing Arkansas. Uh, and, oh, yeah, by the way, Penn State comes in. Right. Now, does losing both your coordinators, losing your quarterback uh, and having the, what has been put up as the most difficult schedule in the country, is that the formula for winning a lot of games? Uh, most people would not think so. Auburn people, on the other hand, are going to say, oh, yeah, we might not win but ten. And you know, and you got to be realistic about what you're dealing with.
0: And, and sometimes I could be you know, in that optimistic camp, you know, but just, it is—it is. I understand. It's nice to yeah. take reality pills from time to time. Sure. <laughs> hey, well,
3: but when you're talking about a schedule, and when you're talking about Auburn, is that Penn State game the most important game of Brian Harson's career? Because you have to think they're going to win the first two. Well, you you would think that that's going to set the tone for what. Are the fan base going to try to run him out of town after Penn State, or is everybody going to, like, jump on board and, like, here we go, let's jump behind him? It just seems like it is such a crucial game for his career and his potential career at Auburn.
5: It's according how you lose. Yeah. If you lose 50 to nothing, that's one thing. Uh, If you lose by one touchdown, that's another thing, unless you have gotten to the opponent's two-yard line with a guy in your backfield who's averaging five yards a carry and instead of giving him the ball <laughs> on the third or fourth down, you throw, a uh, f- you throw a fade pass to the corner of the end zone twice. Now of the shortest so, guys
3: on the field. So, <laughs> it's, a,
5: so it's according uh, to how you lose. If, if Auburn loses to a good Penn State team in a respectable game by a close margin, I would hope that fans are objective enough, smart enough, not to throw the kitchen sink at him. You know, if they lose, this is a Penn State team that's good, sure. but they're not in the same category as Ohio State. This is a good team, but it's not a great team. Uh, If they come down and beat Auburn by seven touchdowns, that's another thing. If they beat Auburn by a field goal, then that's something else. Unless, we, unless, let's say, they beat Auburn by four points, not a field goal because you got Anders Carlson. Yeah. But if they beat Auburn by four points and they had the ball on the two yard line and Tank Bigsby sits on the sideline while they throw two fade passes, then the guy that's going to be leading the charge out onto the field may be us. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. No, that's fair. But,
3: but now, also, in reality, I think Auburn could lose that game by just a point. And there's still gonna be Auburn fans that are like, well, get, get him out, get him out. Well I would I would He's I would done. say there's
5: probably five people around this table right now that's gonna be disappointed if Auburn loses that game by one point. No sure. kidding. But I would but I would hope that there's five of us around here and a whole lot in the listening audience that will be objective enough and look and see, you know, look and see what's happening. I mean, this is a team that's playing in the Western Division of the SEC, which is the toughest division and the toughest conference in the country, and they're going to have one of the toughest schedules in the country with two new coordinators and a new quarterback.
0: Where can people find the magazine?
5: Anywhere that good magazines are sold, if you can't find one, call our office or go to the website and we'll get one to you. Perfect.
0: Lynn Scarborough, thanks for being here with
5: us. Enjoy it, JJ. Thank you all.
0: We have reached the end of the first hour of Sports Call today live from Radio Row here, SEC Media Days. We're back with two more hours right after this timeout. One hour in the books, and we're rolling.
4: We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
0: Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and the Tiger Communications app live from Radio Row at SEC Media Day's here in Atlanta, it's at the College Football Hall of Fame. My name is J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy Sports for joining us to in the first hour. A lot of interesting things to say about the Tigers bringing up games from years past. Last season, some of the ones that got away and how it can impact Auburn going into 2022. Coming up here in just a little bit, Alyssa Lang from the SEC Network will stop by our show to join us. We'll get a chance to chat with Chris Doring later in the program as well on what has been a very busy day here in Atlanta. Again, sports call on the road at SEC Media Days, an event we look forward to every single year. And guys, I'm glad to be back here. This has been a lot of fun so far today. Good first hour of the show, and we're going to keep it going for two more hours.
1: Yeah, two more hours. Uh, I was keep looking at the clock. My my phone has switched over to Eastern time. My computer has not, so I will look and it says four oh four. I'm like, yeah, that, that's right. It is four o'clock, the second hour. But my phone says it's five oh four. I'm like, well, we're we're almost done here. Yeah. But I, we still got two hours of fun to go, and I uh, can't wait for all the uh, the interviews that we've got coming up here. Alyssa Lang and. Chris Doring, and then, of course, can't wait for all the interviews that we've got set up uh, throughout the week with some really, really special guests. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy listening to. So,
0: I want to talk about something that Lynn Scarborough said in his interview with us a moment ago when he joined us uh, here on Radio Road, talking about okay, you look at this upcoming season for Brian Harson, and oftentimes it's not a number, it's how you lose on the field, Tom. And scores being one thing, but I thought he made some interesting comments as well about coaching decisions that could be made within the game and how that could create some frustrations.
3: Yeah, well, absolutely, because that's one of the things that kind of frustrated everybody with uh, the Penn State game last year. Uh, You've got one of the top running backs. That's exactly what he was alluding to, is the fact that that game, you've got one of the best running backs in the country and you decide that you're going to throw a fade route in crunch time. If those types of things go on, then people are going to completely lose patience with Brian Harson because it's going to be we're just repeating the same thing. We're not learning from mistakes, repeating the same stuff. People are going to be aggravated with that. Uh, you know, if we, you look at that Penn State game, and I hate to jump ahead past two other games, but if obviously if Fulbright loses any of the first two by any sort of a score, even if they have to go to overtime in one of those like they did several years ago at Jacksonville State, people are going to be done. Right. They're going to be done.
0: I don't think that happens. I don't
3: think it does either. But the Penn State game. Because
0: remember, and again, we're looking at the talent on last year's team versus this year's team because there were some holdups with Jacksonville State. Auburn was like 122 to 10. I think I have that right. I think they won a ball game 50 to 10 and then 62 nothing in their first two games going into Penn State last year. So they did a really good job taking care of that competition.
3: So, uh, again, but then I, things change. I, right. So, yeah, again, I hate to skip over two games, but they're, they're cupcakes that should right. be wins. So you get to Penn State, and that's the at one. At home, that's the one that is going to really set the stage for what the rest of the season is going to be. And, yeah, I get it. If you lose by a point, if, you, if Penn State kicks a field goal at the buzzer to win that one, it's going to be disappointing and people are going to be fired up. But, I, you know, if you're hanging with them – good on you uh, but i mean it's just it's such an important game uh, to, man just thinking about the fan base and where they're at with brian harson right now if if you get that win that's going to feel like a breath of fresh air considering uh everything that has happened in the off season everything that's currently going on with recruiting the or lack thereof um uh, just a lot of this feels like a lot of animosity towards brian harson uh that game will go so far in helping him out and helping the fan base at least get on board with him a loss i think even a a very close loss it's going to be rough uh, on him and i guess maybe that's one thing that i maybe disagree with lynn scarborough a little bit about yeah there is a how you play the game, but I still think that if you lose, because of everything that is piling up, if you lose that game, you have set the precedent now of losing going forward, and I think people are just going to be fed up with it.
2: Well, I mean, you can say that it would be a, a dam-breaking type of uh, event where then you lose to LSU and then it really is falling right. off the, the rails. But, again, that that is fan sentiment. On, on what they would feel if Auburn was been State. The reality is, while it would be headed in the wrong direction, you have nine games, eight games left to right the ship and come up with something worth being optimistic about and, and maintaining your job status. Because I, I would say that, realistically, I'm not a disagreeing with – what you're saying about what the fans, I think the fans would go there. I was going to say, you know the um, fan base just right. as well as yeah, I no, Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's very um, very quick to turn. But I think realistically you couple that game with the LSU game. Right. Because of what Lynn was talking about with LSU's interesting season, I, I think not to try and deviate too much from the point, but – The SEC West is very fascinating below Alabama because I really think there's a string of possibilities two through seven in which almost every school can end up in almost every position, two through seven. Um, And and so is LSU ahead of schedule to where they're more up in the top of the division, or are they at or below schedule where – they're actually just struggling to beat the Mississippis, and they could be last or, or six, depending on what happens in the Auburn game. And so that's why I think it's very uh, important, not just the Penn State game, but the LSU game if you're talking about just the prognosis of the entire season. Because, yes, there's a couple games in the middle and back half of the schedule where Auburn's not going to win. They're not beating Georgia or Alabama this year, and I think everybody should just kind of admit that fact. Something unbelievable would have to happen for them to beat Georgia or Alabama because they were road games. If they were at home, I would never rule it out. But on the road, I'm ruling it out at least for this year. Uh, but pretty much everything else, I think a would be unlikely, pretty much everything else is up for grabs. And because this is college football, we can power rank whichever teams we want. We can say which team is better or, or that sort of thing. But the reality is, and it works both ways, that is college football and something chaotic will happen. So simply put, there's – six or seven games on Auburn's schedule that are going to actually determine what this record is and what it is not and and what the job security status and Penn State and LSU feel like the most significant because they are the first up, but they're simply a part of the big pot where you need to win that Missouri game. You need to beat at least one Mississippi school, if not both. You need to have... You know, potentially a, a win against Arkansas, uh, who is well thought of this year. Um, so there's a lot of things that you have to do on this schedule that will all need to fall into place for everyone to be comfortable again go, going forward. And I hate that it's like that because, again, I am never of the opinion that two years is enough to determine a coach's fate or not. But the reality is, as we as you pointed to, there is not a lot of patience here. There's not a lot of patience really in any of the SEC schools other than Vanderbilt. Uh, even Missouri is going to be upset with Eli Drinkwitz if they don't make improvements this year. So, um, and, and that's a game that Auburn fans count as a win already. So that that is the reality of the times that we're in, that there's just not the patience anymore. I even want to mention real quickly as well, someone like Florida, who was on an upward trajectory three years ago, they, they had a double-digit win season. Then two years ago, they beat Georgia. They go to the SEC championship game, have a very respectable game against Alabama, pushed Alabama about as far as they got pushed in that season. But then they had that one bad year this year. And it, it, it just writes over all the, the good things they did the previous two years. And they said, nope, 6-6, six and six, out, totally out. Um, and, and so that's the issue with it all is that it's so quick to focus on the bad and to say that's too much bad where it's not good enough to where you kind of don't recognize that there's also a lot of other programs that are in similar boats and are also good this is the best league in the in the in the country and it's been you know commissioner sankey said this already is a super league Look at, look at the teams that – especially with Oklahoma and Texas add, you've got some of the great programs of all time and some of the great programs probably more importantly of the last 20 years. And the point – I think Lynn said five, it's actually six – uh, since 1997 when Tennessee won. Six of the 14 current programs have won a national championship in the last 25 years, and no other conference team comes close to that, and we know the capability of some of the other schools in the conference of it being top 10 teams. Some of those teams have not won championships. Mississippi State was number one in the country one year, and they're historically not a good program at all, like at all, and they're still capable of performing that way, and Arkansas has had top 10 years where they got had times where they were in the top 10. Ole Miss just made a New Year's Six Bowl, so the the reality is this conference is just loaded all the sure. time. So, anyway, I know that's a long spiel. But, yep. yes, the fans will turn quickly. But, no, the season does not end because of a close loss right. as long as you look competent early in the season.
3: But, and, and I guess, you know, what, to me what just makes those even so much more important, and, and I, again, I'm not disagreeing with you, I agree with what you're saying, Right now, it feels like the fan base is towing that cliff. The, the majority of them, are, their toes are on the edge of the cliff. The season ended miserably. Right. The recruiting cycle was not good leading up to the season. So I guess let's start out with the, the recruiting cycle, transfer portals, not good. Season did not end well. Coaches were leaving. Players were leaving. Then there's an investigation. This current recruiting cycle is not going great. That man needs something positive to happen for him desperately because right now there's not a lot to be looking forward to. Right. So you have to win. You, you sure as hell can't trip up against two cupcakes. You cannot do that. I don't think that you can trip up against Ole Miss. Or, I'm sorry, against Penn State or LSU. You have got to win one of those two games. If you take an L early in the season as much crap – is just being thrust in front of him right now from the fan base and from the powers that be. If you trip up in any of those early games, it's it's not going to be good. It's not going to be pretty. It's never pretty when Auburn loses a game anyway. But when you just keep stacking this stuff up, and if you trip up in one of those early games, Katie bar the door because it's going to be You fight crazy. not
2: only the opponent but the perception of the program. Absolutely. And, and, yep.
3: Everybody will just Doubt. assume. The assumption will be, here's you know this snowball is out of control, and and of course people like us will sit there and go, goodness, folks, hang on. Right,
2: one loss has never it's, destroyed it's, an entire it's season. one yeah.
3: loss. Chill out. But man, I mean it. The snowball, it just it just feels like just thing after thing after thing keeps piling up on him, and then if you take an early loss, oof. Now if you can get those wins early on. If You can beat Penn State. If you can beat LSU. You might actually start giving a little bit of some hope to the fans. And, and that's one of the big things is it takes just a little bit to get people on board. I've heard this comparison, and it's not a very good comparison, but talking about Bruce Pearl and how the fans were able to – they gave him time. He didn't come out like a barn, barn buster in the, the, his first season, but people gave him time. However – there were positives. There were things that you could see positive. He was bringing in athletes from the get-go that Auburn's never had. They were winning some games that Auburn's never been able to win. So there were some positives there. Right now, Brian Harson has not had that, the positive steps in the right direction to make people think that he can get this job done. Getting a win against Penn State, getting a win against LSU right there early in the season will be those positive steps. And then you just got to prevent yourself from completely face planning.
0: 334 887 3401 or toll free at 1 9 Tiger 9. That is our Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been a proud sponsor of Sports Call and uh, grateful that they're sponsoring our phone calls. Unfortunately, we've got some technical difficulties back at home in the shop and not able to take your phone calls. But nonetheless, we're bringing you great SEC Media Day coverage, which is exactly what we're going to do after this next timeout. Let's go ahead and head to our next commercial break here on the program. When we come back, Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network will join us here on Sports Call. That conversation is coming your way right after this on WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM.
4: Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU.
0: we live from SEC Media Days on Radio Row, the College Football Hall of Fame here in Atlanta. J.J. Jackson and Brooks Childress with Alyssa Lang from ESPN and the SEC Network. Alyssa, it's so good to see you. Here we are, football season's right around the corner. I was
6: going to say, every time I get to sit down with you guys, I know that the season is coming, <laughs> and it's coming fast, and it's the best time of year because I don't know how it feels for you guys, but when I'm here this week, I legitimately think there's a game on Saturday. <laughs> like, okay, I feel like the season is starting this weekend, and then it's kind of a punch in the gut when you go home, and it's still another month or so until yeah. the actual season starts, but we're getting closer we're getting there. Best time of the year, hands down.
0: And here we are in the College Football Hall of Fame. I mean, the setup here, Radio Row was in other locations. Uh, the last stop mm-hmm. here in Atlanta and, and what a aesthetic it is for us to be able to conduct interviews like this. I was going to
6: say, I've never actually been in here. Yeah. I've never been to the College Football Hall of Fame. I've obviously been to Atlanta for SEC championship games and for bowl games and all these things, but I've never actually gotten to walk through here. And it kind of gives you chills, especially yeah. knowing that as we sit here, college football is changing all around us and has been for the last couple of months and will be for the next couple of months and years to come. Knowing what a big factor the SEC is in making those decisions, like there's no better place to be in this moment right now than sitting here at the College Football Hall of Fame getting ready for the season.
0: And where we're located, here towards the back, we're right underneath the Iron Bowl, uh, which is oh, great yeah. for, for our Auburn that. audience. How did the, I mean, just... Stars align. You're aligned looking for that at to a McElroy place. quote. Right, How does that feel? Wow. There's a, a little McElroy different guy. for us, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah. as as you look at Auburn going into the season, it's so interesting to hear outsiders perspective because there's a lot of conversation mm-hmm. on Brian Harson already after year 1. A lot of folks in, a lot of folks already out. Where does Alyssa Lang sit?
6: You know, I have a show on SiriusXM during the week, throughout the season, and then throughout the offseason, and I have stayed true in this opinion, and I still believe this to this moment right now. I feel like the criticism and the early jumping on Brian Harson was never fair. I mean, this this is a tough job. This is arguably one of the top three toughest jobs in college football. I mean, certainly in the SEC. You guys know we worked with Gene Chizik for several years. He's back in the coaching ranks now over at North Carolina, and he would often refer to this job as a pressure cooker. The expectations are high. The fan base always is, knows everything that's going on. Like You cannot pull anything over any Auburn's fans' eyes because they are intelligent football fans who are constantly 24-7 dialed in. I never felt like the criticism of Brian Harson was fair as early as it came. I mean, we're talking about is a coach on a hot seat six games into his very first year. That's, that's ridiculous to me. Like we knew that Auburn had issues to fix and we know that they still do. Now, I think Brian Harson has an opportunity here to win over some of those fans because we know you're not always all the way out, right? Like you mentioned, some fans are in, some fans are out. What gets those fans back in? Winning football yeah. games, especially if you can get competitive with Alabama once again this year. I, I mean, that's all it comes down to. So I think some of this off the field conversations that we were having about Brian Harson again. I-, I thought that was very unfair too. It's like, give the guy a chance. You have to give him time. And if it doesn't work out, you move on. But at this point, a year and a half, we're not even started his second season yet. Like The hot seat conversation to me is crazy. I'm looking forward to seeing if he can come out and punch some folks in the mouth this season. Because when Auburn football is good, it's good for the rest of the SEC, not just the West, the entire conference. When we're going into Iron Bowl week saying, we don't know what's yeah. gonna happen. Like that's the best best situation we could be in, if you will, in college football.
1: And Alyssa, you kinda answered my next question a little bit there, but I want you to go in a little more detail. What do you think that Harson overall besides being competitive with Alabama needs to do to win over those fans because we you know we're in it every single day we know there's a lot of skepticism going on with this uh, Harson regime
6: yeah you know it's an interesting question because I I was doing an interview earlier today and we were talking about a similar situation and I mentioned you know coaches coming in and breathing life back into programs and you look at for example also in the SEC West Sam Pittman at Arkansas and his first season I mean they hit the ground running Arkansas fans are excited. They're filling the stadium again. There's excitement around this program. They lost a lot of close games. I think Pittman only ended up winning three games his very first season, but there's this renewed sense of optimism. That won't exactly cut it at Auburn, right? Like winning three games is not going to be looked at as a victory for Brian Harson at all. I think obviously becoming bowl eligible is very important for Harson, but I think just showing improvement in the sense that you're putting an exciting product on the field right i mean you look at josh heupel at tennessee tennessee fans were pretty maybe negative going into the next coaching regime and then all of a sudden they're scoring 40 points a game and they're going okay this is fun like we could do this so you know i think it's a general where are we going under brian harson there's so many questions to be answered obviously when it comes to the quarterback situation how is he going to handle that i think that's going to show us a lot when it comes to who he goes with and then how long he goes with whoever he names QB one. So uh, I think there are a lot of different ways that he can go about turning things around in the second year, but at the very, very, very base level, win six or seven football games, and I think we're avoiding having this conversation.
1: When you look at, uh, you know, preseason looking at this team, I know everyone puts out magazines that says this this part of the side of the ball is better. This, What do you think is Auburn's strength going into this year? Oh,
6: I mean, obviously uh, last season I think there was a lot to be said about the defensive performances that Auburn put out. I mean, you look at an Auburn football team, especially you go back to a couple of years ago and you look at some of those guys who – got drafted to play on Sundays you're going okay yeah Auburn always has these big uglies on the (laughs) defensive line and you come to expect that so uh, you know as much as we make a big deal out of offenses changing across the SEC I think that's sort of become our expectation of Auburn is just having this nasty defense that nobody wants to deal with so that's what I expect and certainly with all the questions offensively you kind of lean on that defense to take a little bit more of the pressure off obviously right so you know, you start the season and there's so many ups and downs and you don't exactly know the identity of your team week one, really even week two. So if Brian Harson puts out a defense that can show us that they can go out there and help the offense a little bit and maybe get some takeaways, maybe score some points on that side of the ball. We're looking at an Auburn team that could end up being a bit of a threat. So defensively, I think, is where their biggest strength is going to be, at least at this point before we know where all these pieces are going to be on the offense.
0: Alyssa Langs here with us from ESPN and the SEC Network. And Alyssa, let's wrap with this really significant news in the SEC this week that they've announced a partnership with Bush's Baked Beans which is outstanding. Later this week, we're going to get a chance to chat with Roger McCreary, our own Auburn Tiger, who signed a partnership with Bushes. He eats two bowls of beans before – playing in every single game. Oh
6: my gosh. Which is just
0: crazy to think about. But I know that you were also pretty excited about this news.
6: Maybe I need to start doing that before (laughs) broadcasts. I mean, like, Roger McGrath, if if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. No, I'm so excited. And the fact that uh, it involves dogs, obviously, is a great sponsorship as well. But I actually was given a can of Bush's beans this morning with my name on it. Wow. And I don't think I've ever received something as cool in my entire (laughs) life as a (laughs) customized can of Bush's baked beans. So it might go on my mantle. I don't know. Like, where do do you put that? (laughs) Like, it has to be front and center. So we're so excited. Um, They're a great, great sponsorship, great partner. Uh, that's hand in hand with the kind of things we, we do in the SEC with food and tailgating and all that stuff because who doesn't want baked beans on their plate
0: no kidding <laughs> well Alyssa the time is always great spending with you whether it's here in person or over the phone uh, it's always good to catch up with you thanks for joining us thank
6: you guys for having me
0: that's Alyssa Lang joining us here on sports golf
1: Eaters.
4: Follow our Sports Call host, J.J. Jackson, on Twitter by searching at underscore J.J. underscore Jackson underscore. And follow the show on Twitter by searching at Sports Call AU.
5: Hashtag, is that two words?
4: I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: And welcome back into Sports Call, WTGZ, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here with Brooks Childress, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom P. B. Our thanks again to Alyssa Lang of the SEC Network for joining us a little bit earlier today when we got a chance to chat with her. A lot of fun things to talk about with Auburn football and uh, what the SEC season could look like. Brooks, it's always great to see her and have her on our show.
1: Yeah, and uh, the fact that she got a – can of beans with her name on it earlier today. Just to add it to the fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw that on Twitter before she uh, she got here to our, our booth, and uh, I'm like, man, where where do I I should have asked her where I can get a can of uh, beans with my name on it, or do I have to like sharpie it on out of cross out the bushes and write Brooks over it? Uh, but yeah, she's she's one of our favorites to interview when she comes to uh, when we come to SEC Media Days, and uh, yeah, she uh, does a great job doing all uh, the SEC network stuff she does a lot of sideline reporting also does uh, is it it thinking out loud or is it talking out loud what what which one is thinking it? I thinking believe out yeah. thinking out loud um, uh, is the show that she uh, hosts on SEC network always really really fun to watch and I say it's really fun to watch and I can't remember the name of it but I do watch it um, and it's uh, but really really knowledgeable and uh, always great to have her on
0: it is fun to chat with her and to talk about what's going to look like for this Auburn football season, uh, this upcoming year. What the Tigers look like in years past, and a lot of people across the board or have mixed signals about what this Auburn football team uh, could be. Maybe not what could be this year, but whether or not the Brian Harson fit is the way to go. And I know that's going to be something that we discuss all week long here because, hey, you know, Auburn's not until Thursday, and uh, we won't get a chance to hear from the head coach and a couple of players. Uh, and so we'll continue to sort it out that way. A little bit later today, we've got Chris Doering of the SEC Network on the show. Still got to get our birthdays and sports to highlight, and we'll have a TV guide at the end of the program as well. In addition to Commissioner Sankey, we also heard from Mr. Lane Kiffin, Brian Kelly of LSU, and then uh, Eli Drinkwitz from Missouri. Pick one of those coaches to start with, Ryan, and maybe something interesting you found from them.
2: Yeah, uh, I think the most interesting thing of the day uh, that I would like to throw out to everyone for some groupthink right now is um, what Lane Kiffin was talking about in regards to NIL, and this is something I just wrote about and something that will get released later tonight. Uh, we just kind of do some media day recaps uh, for the website. And Lane Kiffin presented this idea about NIL that, it should be kind of a salary capped item that the coaches are in command of. And he talked about the problem with the boosters having so much influence is that you don't know who they're paying and you've got to convince them to pay for this player or, you know, this guy, they might like more than you do. And then all of a sudden they're telling you, you, the coach, that you have to play this guy because we paid him this much. And, I think we're all in agreement the boosters need little to no involvement in this. But to take it a step further here, Lane's just suggesting that it should be kind of a a capped item or else you're just going to have the great inequities between the schools that can pay a lot and the schools that can't or the boosters that can pay a lot and the boosters that can't. And, look, he's coming at it from this perspective of, yes, this is an SEC program, and in the scheme of college football, Ole Miss is going to have more to offer than probably 80% of college football or 75% of the sport because all the group of fives, for the most part, would not be able to pay what Ole Miss could pay, and Ole Miss can pay more and then probably a fair share of other Power 5 schools. But he's also looking at this from the standpoint of there are four or five schools in this league that are amongst the biggest pocketed schools. Heck, A&M has not even had a lot of success. In fact, they've not even had grossly more success than Ole Miss has had over the last decade, yet A&M can offer substantially more money than Ole Miss can than the University of Mississippi. And and so I think Lane's coming at this from a middle-of-the-road power five perspective here that is like if you're all part of the same conference, your boosters are having too much to do with it uh, as far as who you can pay or how much you can pay and that sort of thing. So that's why he is seeking a cap and I just simply, I kind of like the idea, I think, because he admitted, and and this is a difference in in opinion from even the commissioner, Greg Sankey, um, he admitted that this is professionalism here uh this is a form of it and you know if you have a professional sport then you have usually usually a salary cap and you have a manager general manager or coach that's in command of that and so i just simply think on the uh, until you know i hear more thought about it I, i see what he's saying at the very least here um because Right now, we can't do what we're doing, and and that's the message of even the commissioner and of every coach, of almost every analyst. You can't do what you're doing now, so you have to come up with the potential solutions to change what you're doing, and here's a potential solution where, you know, I don't know if you can do a uniform salary cap, but certainly there needs to be some uniformity to it because even as the commissioner wants, the commissioner wants Congress to take a look at it because he notes that there are differences in each state's laws. And if Florida operates different than Texas or Texas operates different than, than Kentucky or, or whatever, I know that geography-wise here, if you're talking politically, there are a lot of similarities in, in these conferences' states. But no matter what, that would still be different than all the other conferences or all the other states. And so, so he, Commissioner Sankey was calling on Congress to to do something about this in the coming future because we are going to operate under different laws and it's going to be confusing and that sort of thing. So the reality is something will have to be uniform about it, something will have to change, and Coach Kiffin's suggestion here is some sort of a salary cap.
3: Yeah, there's got to be some sort of control with it. Uh, It can't just be the free-for-all that it feels like it is right now. You mentioned Texas A&M. They just had the best recruiting class that they've ever had one of A class that people are saying is one of the best ever. You look at the amount of five stars that Texas A&M has gotten over the past several years compared to five in this recruiting cycle. And then you look at the money that Texas A&M has. You, everybody understands what's happening there. You've got to be able to put a control on it. And then some of the other things that you mentioned, it's unfortunate these kids a lot of times, I hope there's somebody talking to them about this. But a kid that goes and plays – college football in let's say california got a kid that takes a lot of money to go play at southern cal or ucla they're going to have to pay substantially more taxes on that than if they sign somewhere else and so then you start using that as a negative recruiting tool why why would you want to go out there and play at southern cal and you're going to get taxed exponentially on this you come to ours yeah you're going to get taxed but it's going to be very minimal compared to if you go to california you start doing that type of stuff, and, and then it, it, just, it, it just becomes silly. So you have to, yes, I, I think you have to cap this somewhere uh, in a reasonable, you know, if the players want to be able to get money to afford to do certain things that they can't do because they can't take jobs like a regular college student, if you want to cap it somewhere where the kids can have the money that they need to survive and, and maybe make one deal, you, you get – you get one commercial deal for X amount of money and you cap it and you cap that across the board, make it an even playing field because otherwise, you know, Lane's talking about this. Yeah. At Ole Miss, they've got a lot of things, but they they don't have the type of stuff that Alabama can offer. They don't have the type of stuff Ohio state can offer Southern Cal, Texas, Texas, A and M Ole Miss doesn't have that. So, of course. You're, you're at a disadvantage if you're at one of those schools. You, you have a great program, a great campus, great facilities, great everything, but if you can't provide the amount of money that another school is, then you're at a disadvantage, and that's not fair. That's not putting things on an even playing field.
1: I, I'm i going to approach this from a different angle, but and I know going into it there are flaws in, in the system that I'm about to propose, um, but I, ju- I just want to throw it out there. What I think that one way you could help, with. I don't think, first, I don't think that you should cap it because you don't really cap anybody else. If I'm a normal student, I can go get a job and work for however much money I can make. So if, if you're a student athlete, why would you cap their earning potential? If, they, uh, if, if a normal student can go out and make, you know, it, it goes back to the argument I've had before. If, if I'm a normal student and I leave, you know, I leave Auburn and want to go to LSU, there's nothing that's stopping me from doing that. But there is from a student athlete but why is it different between a student athlete and a regular student to go from university to university? That's a different story. But it
3: I, I, I will say the only difference I can say about that is the normal college student is not signing a four million dollar deal, car dealership deal. True. I um, mean they're working at McDonald's, they're working at Fat Daddy's they're working,
1: <laughs> they're working somewhere like but, that.
3: They're not they're not signing a four million dollar. But just because I go to the car dealership but,
1: but just because I go to a school doesn't mean that the school can cap what I earn outside of right. the school hours. And even though it, it is it is less on a normal student, but it, it, you, you don't cap it. But I also think something that could be very effective, I don't know how effective it would be because it would bring the NCAA into it, and that, that's where we are into the problems, is that you make it a violation to talk NIL or have any sort of deal going into college. You have to make your college decision, and then once you get to the school, then you can start talking about NIL stuff. And I know sure. you bring, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things. And I know, you know, there's all the under the table deals and everything that already go on that, you know, the NCAA is supposed to outlaw, but, but it just, it helps a little bit. I, I don't think it's a full solution. And like I said, I know there's problems with it, but I think if you brought in and said, you cannot make an NIL deal, you cannot talk about an IL, you cannot, you cannot talk to boosters until you are on campus signed with this school. I, I think that could go, go a way to help it. But I
2: think what, what Kiffin is talking about here is a, like a team cap, not a player cap. And you fit all the players under the team cap is the way I was understanding Because he was talking about it from a coach-GM perspective. And in pretty much every league except Major League Baseball, which this is not the sport of baseball, there is a team cap for. And in the sports world, there is a cap. In some leagues, there is a player maximum for what you can make. And – so I think what he's talking about is fitting players under a I certain amount of cap.
1: But the only difference there is, is if you're using your name, image, and likeness, in, in the pro leagues there's not a cap that says Peyton Manning can't go out and can only have this much endorsement deals. And that's basically like what, what NIL is intended to do. That's what that is.
2: That's what the intention is. Yes. But that's not how it's operated. Right. Yes. and that's So that. if you – as you said, if you can – What you want in theory is morally and ethically sound. But it's not a perfect world, and I don't think they will ever operate. Because then we'll just go back to under-the-table stuff. Sure.
3: Well, it's just like Lynn Scarborough was saying. And it it kind of fits with a lot of stuff that you see in politics where there's things on paper that sound great, but in – in in the the sound of it sounds great, but then when you put it to effect, it's like, oh, that, this maybe isn't such a great thing. And I think that's where people are starting to look at is, yeah, there's some good aspects of this, but, I mean, without some sort of control, without some way to rein things in a little bit, you just end up with a free fall and you end up with a professional-type market. And now you're going to have kids going to the highest bidder. You're going to have transfers going to the highest bidder. You're going to have the, the contracts that guys – college athletes will start signing and then you start thinking about the the types of contracts high school athletes could potentially start signing is outrageous. I I just think about uh, going on to the baseball thing right now with uh, Tommy White that went to to LSU. Well, the Mariucci Bat Company there, the, the Mariucci Company is based out of Baton Rouge. And so they can offer just gobs and gobs of money. I mean, they are the top bat maker, they're the top bat user, or I'm sorry, how to phrase this, their bat is the most used bat in Major League Baseball. Their equipment is some of the most used equipment in Major League Baseball. They are a monster brand. So Mariucci can pay these baseball players, there. Phil Knight can pay gobs and gobs of money to get people to go to Oregon. And so you just, without some sort of a control to rein this in, you just end up with this free-for-all, and it just ends up becoming the highest bidder. And unfortunately, a team like Auburn, they can't compete with that. They, they can't. There's not that foundation with Auburn to do that. Yeah, you've got Yellowwood over there, but that's about it. Unless uh, Tim Cook wants to jump in, and I don't think he's going to jump into that pot. So a school like Auburn is at a major disadvantage when you, when you can't do something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you got to rein it in, got to get a control on it somehow. Otherwise, just it, it's going to keep getting worse.
0: I'm curious to see how it all looks in the future. And, obviously, we're one year uh, into it now, and, and things are certainly changing. Times are a changing, as uh, Commissioner Sankey had mentioned in his opening address. I, I, I said it
3: when they talked about this whole pay and pay and players and everything. If you open up this Pandora's box, I don't know that you're going to be able to shut it. And, and that's where I feel like we've gotten right now is, yeah, you can come up with controls and rules and things like that, but the Pandora's box is open. And it's off and running. It's, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to rein that back in because you can put all the types of rules and everything in place you want. But then, J.J., like you mentioned, then you start going right back to the underhanded, under-the-table type stuff. And is the NCAA going to have the colonies enough to actually investigate and enforce those rules when they start to get broken? Because right now it feels like yeah. they're not enforcing or investigating things that are still illegal. There are things about this NIL stuff that there are rules in place that you can't do. And I think it's still happening, but yet you don't see the NCA investigating and enforcing some of those things.
1: And that goes back to what Commissioner Sankey was saying earlier today, because everything is dictated by state law, and every all these different states have all these different laws, that's why it's so difficult for even the NCAA to get a hold of it, because it's like, oh, well, you say we can't do this, but this law here says we can, and it's just there, there's so much gray areas uh, around NIL that, it's just you never know what you know when you when you open you know one door you don't know what's going to happen what next we we are ne- I want people to know we are never going back to where you can't pay a player like that, oh, is, no. that you can't that, go back that's so yeah. why I yeah. said Pandora's yeah. box Pandora, is open that, and it's 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 you, it's open and it's for, not closing so in, you know anybody out there I know you know we we get some callers from time to time that you know say this was a bad idea we're never going back to that point you've got to find a way to get a control of it, and I think that's what Commissioner Sankey was saying earlier today, that you've got to get a – it's going to have to be on a national scale and not let the states dictate it. It's going to be at the national level, or else you're going to have Alabama and Mississippi different from Florida and Georgia, and Virginia's going to be different, and Michigan's going to be different. And it's it's so wild out there that you're, you're going to have to have national intervention.
2: That, that's exactly what Greg Sankey said. And I put the quote in the writing uh, earlier. But he was talking about the the Destin spring meetings. And he walked into the room with all the head coaches with a very clear focus on his message. And he said, quote, it is never going to be the same, but it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And that's the most important thing to take from that. That's what Brooks just said. You know, we're not going back. That's what Tom said with Pandora's box. We're not going to have a situation where they're not paid. We're not going to have a situation where it looks like 1992. You know, we're, we're, we're always going to be moving forward at this point. But we can still come up with a solution that is better than what it is today, that works for more schools, that works for the players, that gives you a better understanding of what's going on to where everyone's not irritated all the time about about the, the next bit of NIL news.
0: And so where I'm at too is, hey, credit to Lane Kiffin for throwing out an idea there because you clearly have seen okay, we need some sort of change. So credit to Kiffin for just starting a conversation and throwing right. an idea out there. Like someone's got to speak up, period. And we've got to publicly be able to have discourse about this and I know that they're uh, having conversations behind closed doors and that sort of thing. But hey, I, I think you know, it's an idea to have this sort of general manager type rule, to have an allotment that I can have per player because, yeah, I don't want boosters out there offering, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith, who's really not that great, yeah, the money yeah. that needs no, to be there, given to, to Kevin Stone. There can
2: be some real – and there's also going to, at that point, going to be real pressure there because if I've got a bunch of people with millions and millions of dollars telling me I they spent a lot of money on that player – you have to pay them or you have to play them, excuse me, because I paid them a lot of money. You know, you can't you can't do that. You you can't have that situation where a coach is having to listen to boosters on who to who to play just because of who they paid. And so I think Kiffin is just really emphasizing here you need to have some conformity there on on who you're paying and, and who you're giving those resources to. Uh, and the ability to do that so that you don't have this internal disconnection, which is causing more chaos within programs.
0: Man, it's fun to be at SEC Media Days and to have things like this to talk about. That's for sure. I'm, I'm certainly grateful to have new ideas and topics and discussions. And that was Lane Kiffin. He is the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels, and he spoke today. We've got other coaches to let you know about, and we've got more coming up here on on Sports Call, live from SEC Media Days on Radio Row here at the College Football Hall of Fame. As we get set, we'll wrap up the second hour of the program. Chris Doring joins us in hour number three. Alongside Brooks Childress, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy, my name is JJ Jackson. Two hours in the books, and we're rolling. Third and final hour of Sports Call here today, ready to rock and roll from SCC Media Days. Here we are on Radio Row, the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress. And man, we've got a lot to get into as it's been a busy day. You've heard on our show already from Lynn Scarborough with Lindy's as well as Alyssa Lang of the SEC network coming up in about ten minutes at 515 Central, 615 Eastern here local time. We'll hear from Chris Dorink of ESPN and the SEC network talking a little Auburn football and the wide receivers as they get set for the upcoming season. We've mentioned some comments from Lane Kiffin a little bit earlier. Brian Kelly is also here on behalf of L S U, his first SEC Media Days as the head coach of the L S U Tigers and uh, welcome to the S C C Coach Kelly as L S U gets ready for this upcoming season.
1: You know what I thought about when he when he was uh... He was about to go on stage, and I, I was not down in the room. But I thought about this when he was about to go on stage. I don't Family. think he, I don't think he's ever done a media Days I, before, I except where, for maybe the Big East.
3: I was like, where does where does Notre Dame do a media days at?
2: <laughs> that is a great question, which I have the answer to because Commissioner Sankey mentioned it while I was down there. Two thousand nine is the last time he participated in a media days. His last year before wow. being in Notre Dame was that
1: was, I think it was Cincinnati, Cincinnati was in the Big East that yes. time though. So yes. the Big East was his last media. Yep. So oh, nine. It, it's been a while since he's had to do this kind of thing. I'm sure, you know, Notre Dame media gets, like, a day where they get to sit down and be like, hey, this is the this is the year. But, like, you don't get the whole I'm going to rotate through, you know, 1,700 media members right. today and talk to, give the same answers to everything for, what, 12, 13 years it's yep. been. And, man, that's – I mean, yep. I'd like to get – after since he's done, his, his rotation ended – Middle of the afternoon, they're already on their way back to Louisiana. I would like to get talk to him right now and say, "All right, how was it?"
2: Oh yeah, I don't. I, he probably mortified. Probably <laughs> the last question he got asked was Joe Goodman of AL.com asked him if getting drubbed by Alabama twice was the huh. part of the reason that he left Notre Dame. Boy, <laughs> which is not a good question because then uh, why did he join the conference that? It, Alabama
1: plays in. And you play like, I don't know if that right one on.
2: made sense. It was just to be a, a, a butt. But anyway, um, it was his first meeting since 09. He Definitely was awkward in a couple of his answers. That's just I think that's just Brian Kelly at this point. Um, But I, I think the most thoughtful thing that he talked about was you know someone asked him point blank like why is he right for the LSU job, which is a incredibly fair question because this is a guy that's not coached in the South or the Southeast and LSU. Um, is one of the most locally important schools like like obviously these schools are important to a state but like how often do you hear about louisiana people talking about lsu or vice versa like, like that's just all they talk about and look the states exist the, the pelicans exist but like lsu is so important to people from louisiana and so he was asked, you know, why is he the right person for this job? And he talked about that he's always been a great developer and that development is not really geographical. If I can develop a football player, I can develop them wherever. And I like that answer, and I think he will develop players. But my question is, is can he recruit? Because there is a certain level of developing that you just can't attain in if you don't have the talent to get you there like Notre Dame's a big program like he didn't come from Cincinnati he came from Notre Dame yeah. and Notre Dame had several of really good teams but they always fell short because at the end of the day there was just a few athletes they were just a few athletes short or a, a little physicality short they knew how to play football they played it well. But when you played four three wide receivers, guys that weigh 350 pounds, guys that are going to block at the next level in the SEC, it was just a little different. And so, I like like I said, I don't think he will face plant LSU because there's going to be a level of development that I agree that he will attain. But to beat Alabama, to beat Georgia, to beat Florida, and granted he doesn't have to play those two schools necessarily every year, um, but to beat some of these schools, Texas A&M now that's recruiting out the yin-yang, you're going to have to recruit with them. You can't beat tw- – Auburn's finding this out the last couple of years. You can't be 20th and beat second every year. You know, you yeah. might catch lightning in a bottle, but it's not sustainable. So, um, you know, that would be my issue. My issue is not actually development part. I think he will do that. It is can he recruit the state of Louisiana, can he recruit the southeast, and he talked about understanding. He talked about and he, he. named some cities in Louisiana, so he's aware of the cities that exist. In Louis- <laughs> he was talking about Monroe and Shreveport. we got to get up to northern Louisiana. So, great. He understands that other cities exist other than Baton Rouge and New Orleans, but he will also have to recruit outside of that state as well, so I think that's the biggest he, question he, with him. He
3: didn't try to do a Louisiana accent.
2: No, he did not. Okay. He was asked about food, though. Southern food he was liking, and he talked about crawfish etouffee and grilled oysters are amongst his favorites.
1: And another thing that's going to be up against Brian Kelly is I would like to go back and look at the recruiting rankings. I want to know how many times he went head-to-head with Georgia and Alabama for recruits and Texas for recruits because especially in the state of Louisiana, which is a hotbed for top high school talent, you are week in, week out going head-to-head with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, Steve Sarkeesian, whoever the head coaches at Oklahoma at the time, Brent Venable's now, everyone is going to Louisiana to try to get those yeah. those uh, those players. And you what you've got to do, and it's much like what Kirby Smart is kinda starting to do at Georgia, you've got to put up a wall around that state and you gotta let nobody else come in there and get yeah. those players or else, you know, you're playing against them in a couple of years. Well, I,
3: I think his his recruiting you know, the recruiting footprint just in itself in Notre Dame is nationwide because, I mean, they were, they were getting guys from all over the country. However, the majority of the folks from the southeastern part of the United States are going to be going to an SEC school. Uh, it, most of that recruiting, I, I would think would he would have been going more head-to-head against somebody like Ohio State and Michigan just from that area. So, yeah, I mean, down here, it's different. It's it's a different beast, even though you come from a program that has such a big footprint. Like you mentioned, you you have to put the wall up around your state, and and that is it. You know, it's just as simple as that. And you can do that at LSU since you are the only big one in in the state, as opposed to, you know, in Alabama where you're battling your next-door neighbor for the same guys. LSU, you don't have that problem. And so I, I think he's going to be successful there, but I think it might take a little bit of time because uh, you know, Orgeron caught that lightning in a bottle, but very similar to what happened with Gene Chiswick, A lot of those, all the, almost all of those players left, and they didn't have the guys to fill back into the, uh, into the ranks. He's maybe not in quite a huge rebuild, but he's still got to get that thing built back up to a level. Uh, and, and he's kind of behind the eight ball because, yeah, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia, they're, they're killing it right now in recruiting.
0: I thought this was interesting. Connor O'Gara from Saturday and South, someone that we uh, enjoyed brunch with a little bit earlier with, got a chance to chat, and he'll be on the show at some point this week with us, which will be great. He tweeted this an hour ago on Twitter at C.J. O'Gara. Since 1999, Notre Dame wins versus AP Top 5 teams, two of them. Yeah. LSU national titles, three of them. Brian Kelly can deny it all he wants. He left Notre Dame to work with more talent at LSU, and that's not debatable. Since 1999, Notre Dame has two wins against AP Top 5 teams, LSU with three national
2: titles. Still have to put put that groundwork in, though, because I, I know that LSU has a great pipeline, and like everyone that comes out of Louisiana is already like a lean LSU <laughs> when they're in high school. Like when Auburn comes in against Trevon Reed, like that's a huge deal. And people in Louisiana are very mad about that. Trevon Reed was a five star recruit at the time. Um, but LSU is very similar place in college football that Auburn typically is. It is probably just a smidge higher than Auburn. And, and, and it's because of the recent, like in, before. Nick Saban comes in early 2000s, Auburn's probably ahead or at least even, and it's just the last 20 years where LSU's kind of starting to separate itself a little bit. But I say that to say you can't waltz in there and just finish third or fourth in recruiting. Your baseline for recruiting is still probably around 10th or so, 10th, 15th. So you need to exceed that a little bit. If you recruit and finish 15th every year, again, that's what I was talking about earlier, You're not making any ground on anybody. For it to really matter that you're a good developer, you need to be within that top ten, nearing the top five. You know, and you need to have some years you beat a couple of those schools. Again, like, it's not like when I say you finish sixth or seventh in something, normally that's really damn good. You beat 120 schools. Congrats. That's awesome. I mean, it's elite. The problem is three or four of the schools that are in your conference are in the, the, the top five. So that's that's the issue sure. there.
3: Well, Gus Malzahn, for example. Gus Malzahn would have top ten classes, but they would be sixth in the SEC. You know, if you're going to have success at LSU, he's going to do that. He can't do, he can't do what Gus Malzahn did, have top ten but sixth in the SEC. You've got to be top three in the SEC. That's going to put you top three in the country. But you got to be top three in the league if you're not doing that. Hello, Brian <laughs> a couple. You, you have to be able to, if you're going to compete with those top teams up there, you're going to have to get those same players that they're getting.
1: A, a couple things that I think do play into the favor of Brian Kelly is you're not following a great coach. You're following a coach that kind of fell out of favor with the fan base so that could give them a little extra time. On the other side of that, that coach still won you a national title very right. recently, and all those fans know what the national title tastes like from just a couple of years ago, so they're going to be hungry for another one.
3: Yeah. Well, same thing with Auburn with Gene Chizy. Yeah. They, I mean, they, he, he fell out of favor very quick because that team, I mean, they hit rock bottom quick after that 2010 season. It got ugly. But you had that fresh taste of it in your mouth. You knew what the expectations were. You knew what that felt like in kn- – and you felt like you could get back to that. And so, yeah, that's where LSU's at. They, they're, they've they still got fresh taste of a national title in their in their mouth. They know what it feels like. They know, and, you know, the expectations are there. Uh, and, you know, I think it's it's not too late for Brian Kelly to get that program back to where it needs to be.
2: Well, and Ed also talking about words, Ron, I mean, he – clearly disappointed in the end as a coach, but he was loved, I mean, beloved oh, there. I mean, he was a, a hero there because he was from there, yeah. you know, and he cared so much about Louisiana. And, again, I, I'm telling you, like, there are plenty of places around the Southeast that are very proud of their people and, and, and their people are proud to be there. But Louisiana probably takes the cake for that with LSU. And so it's going to be hard to drum up that kind of morale, because I mean there's nothing like the hometown guy or, or the the pl- people that are from there succeeding there sure. um, so and, and it is you know a, a good thing that they I guess for Kelly's perspective, that it wasn't a retirement. You know, if Ed Orgeron had, had, was older and he won a championship and had a couple, like, nine or ten win years and then called it quits, then it would be a nearly impossible scenario. But you know, to your point, you know, they, they clearly lacked the success there very quickly after the national championship. But, again, it's a high-expectation job, as, as 10 or 11 of the jobs in the SEC are. And so if he doesn't bring Notre Dame-type success – Immediately, again, hot seat because the doubts of him not being from there, the doubts of him always working at Notre Dame or Cincinnati, somewhere outside the south, will just creep up immediately. And, and kind of like Auburn with Brian Harsin. I was, I was waiting you know, on you to not, finish. Not I was going to bring it up. That's not late. getting the benefit of the doubt because he's not from around right. here. He doesn't have the ties. We're not used to seeing him operate in these environments. The, the benefit of the doubt is not going to be there for Brian Kelly the, the moment he starts to falter.
1: I'm gonna say, I, I will say this, though. When you look at LSU, the last four coaches, they brought in an outsider, Nick Saban was an outsider, yep. wasn't a, was a Big Ten Midwest guy, brought him in. Les Miles was an outsider, Big Ten Midwest guy. Then you went with the LSU guy, which was Ed Orgeron, and you did win a national title but then fell out very quickly, and now you've gone back to a guy that has not, uh, has not been around right. the program, brought in a, Mid, a Midwest outsider. And so if you go with that trend, you think maybe there, there's a national title in Brian Kelly's future. But so I, I don't know if that's going to play into anything. Like they they know like, hey, we're not looking for an LSU guy. We're looking for a winning guy.
2: There's a trivia question somewhere in there. <laughs> like, what school has hired three straight coaches to win a national championship? So that's got to be a trivia question because yeah. I, I don't know if that exists.
1: Yeah, I don't. I can't think of another school that would have done that because Nick Saban won one, Les Miles won one, Ed Orgeron won yeah. one. If Brian Kelly can win one.
2: Because you think of the great programs oh. to win a lot of national championships. You know, Alabama was Shula before Saban. Yeah. Um, Stallings and Bryant were that. Was that back to back? But I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a trio either way. Um, as yeah, I mean, St-
3: well, yeah, well, because yeah, I mean, Bryant would have won. He would have won the title in '79, and then uh, Stallings won it in '92. I know. I'm, but I'm
2: just saying, like coaches. I mean. Bryant won many titles. Was so there, any was there anyone count, between
3: Bryant and Stallings? Oh yeah, you had Perkins and okay. Curry. So,
2: so yeah, yeah, so that's not in between. Right. So there was but people in between. It, did, forgive me for that. Did Florida so, State
1: win one before Bowden? I don't think because so. it would have gone Bowden to Fisher, right? right. Yeah, but I then they would have had Florida another Sta- one. I think Florida,
3: Probably Florida not. State was pretty much garbage. Yep. Until Bowden got there.
2: So again, I like I'm just There's would struggle. I would struggle to think of you know you could potentially say Ohio State or Michigan maybe somewhere. Or Oklahoma, yeah. I mean, there's still some other great programs that won have won a lot of national championships. But again, you, you know, there's not going to be, you know, even Florida with because broke up a, a Spurrier and Urban Meyer yeah. deal. Um, I mean, there's just not a lot that have even won two, but especially not three straight coaches to win a title. So yeah, that's that's I, yeah. expectations. That's palpable expectations.
3: I, I that is a really good question, and, and I often tell, well because I mean you got to think about the teams that have won national titles are very. It, it, that over the past, it, it, well, definitely y'all's lifespan, even my lifespan, teams that have won the, the national title in college football, they, there's only a select few that have done that.
1: And a lot of them have kept the same coach the entire time. Uh,
3: exactly. Uh, and so to have, yeah, consecutive, I can't think of anything of that because, I mean, there's only just the few folks that have won titles. What, what about Ohio, Tennessee? Ohio,
1: Ohio State. You had Fulmer win one. Who was before Fulmer?
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't. Let's see. I, Tennessee, I don't know. Tennessee
3: had not won a title in quite a while before they, they won it in '98 with Fulmer. Um, I mean Neyland was General Neyland was long. before Fulmer, so
2: yeah, long time ago, right?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure who would have who was going to say the,
1: uh, on on their Wikipedia page national championships '98 was Fulmer. You had Doug Dickey in 1967 won one. And then uh, Nealon won four. Last one was 1951. Uh, but there was Johnny Majors was in between Doug oh, yeah, Dickey Johnny Majors. and, and uh, Philip Fulmer. So John, they didn't but win. they
2: didn't win with Majors, yeah. All right. So, yeah, it's tough. Ohio it's State. Tough. We'd have to go back through Ohio State, Michigan, like Oklahoma. Yeah. But uh, other than that, maybe USC. But other than that, that's that's all your options. You Notre, ha- da- Notre you, Dame. Inherently, yeah. you have to have a program that's won at least right. three national championships. I, I, with, I,
3: could th- I could see it happening with Notre Dame uh, with the – the you know divine and all the different coaches that they went through mm. seems like there was probably some back to backs coaches with titles at Notre Dame. That's the only one that I could think of, and, and that, that's amazing that LSU could potentially be in that if if, the if they're able to do it.
0: Let's go ahead and we'll take our next commercial break here on Sports Call. On the other side of this break, Chris Doring of ESPN and the SEC Network will join us here on the program again, live from SEC Media Days. Radio Row at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. Sports Call continues in a moment.
4: A timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now, back to more Sports Call with JJ Jackson and the guys.
0: Welcome back into Sports Call live from Radio Row in Atlanta, SEC Media Days 2022. We are now thrilled to be joined by Chris Storing of ESPN and the SEC Network. And I feel
7: like we've become friends over the years here. We do, you know, this sit down every year. Radio every Row. year, we like look it. forward to yeah. it.
0: Uh, a couple of phone conversations mm-hmm. throughout the year is always great, and uh, always good to see you, man. Yeah,
7: good to be back here, right? It's fun uh, to me. It always feels like the first day of school, where you know you're, you're knocking off the rust of the summer vacation. You get a chance to. Visit with friends you haven't seen in a while and everybody kind of comparing notes on on what their opinions are of the, the teams in this league and what the season dynamic will look like.
0: There's so many different things to talk about in college athletics, and now we're, here we are talking football, and it's good. It's a good time of year to talk a little ball. From the outside looking in, it feels like nobody can make up their mind on whether or not Brian Harson is going to work at Auburn. We've seen a year. Where are you in that conversation? You know what?
7: I was not necessarily in on it until I I had a chance to sit down with him in Destin at SEC Spring Meetings. Man, I was really impressed. He's probably the the one that, that I came away feeling much differently about after sitting with him than I did before. I thought he was engaging. He was personable. He had confidence. He's got this leadership aspect about him. So. You know, I, I hope that the Auburn fans can, can provide some patience. I know patience and, and Auburn fans are not always synonymous, but I, I think that you know, I can speak to one thing that I'm excited about in terms of moves that he's made, and that's hiring my former teammate, Ike Hilliard, who you know, I, I think you've looked at, at Auburn's receivers over the years. There's been a lot of talent, but I don't think the development was there. And one of the things that allowed me to play at a high level at Florida and then in the NFL was the attention to detail. Ike Killyard and I were were coached by the same two guys, Steve Spurrier, Dwayne Dixon, our wide receiver coach. I know the kind of receiver he was, and I know the kind of coach he is, and I think he's going to do a great job of developing that wide receiver talent there in Auburn.
0: What's the one thing Auburn fans need to know about Ike Killyard, the person? Because now he is, we talk recruiting all the time. Fans know college recruits better than us uh, because they're so obsessed with it. How is he going to be in that recruiting world and what do we need to know about i kill i'll say
7: this man all, uh, Ike uh your great friend of mine i'm biased but really good <laughs> dude uh really knowledgeable he's got the resume like most most guys now they want to go play and 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 have guys coaching them that can get them to the next level and i can tell you from my firsthand experience when i was when i was coached by dwayne dixon who i mentioned who played wide receiver at florida in the nfl you know i played for some guys kenny jackson was one that was my wide receiver coach when you're played when you're you're playing for coaches that actually played at that level, so many times you have guys telling you what to do, but you have a lot more respect for the ones that actually did it at sure. that level. And Ike did it at such a high level at Florida and then in the NFL that he can speak from that first hand perspective and tell these kids what they need to know about ultimately getting to the NFL, which is every college football player's dream.
2: Well and obviously we talk about wide receivers and the need for development there. Uh, But obviously, at quarterback for Auburn, that's been a question that everyone has this year. And I I wonder if it actually can be a benefit that you have a a group of new wide receivers, some new quarterbacks. And so, obviously, you always want to have talent. You always want to have the guy that everyone's talking about. But maybe it would be beneficial for Auburn to say, okay, we've got brand new everything here. They're going to grow together, and that would be Auburn's hope this year.
7: Yeah, I hope so. I think one of the things that when you're in the midst of a quarterback battle – You kind of want to get that resolved as soon as possible. I love competition. I think competition at every position is important. I played for a guy in Coach Furrier that promoted competition even at the quarterback spot, which was unheard of at the time. But, you know, I I think um, figuring out who that guy is going to be, not only for the leadership aspect that's uh, inherent at the quarterback spot, but also as a receiver, you know, that rhythm that you have to have with a quarterback, being on the same page, getting more reps in practice. Now I hope that they can kind of figure that out and, and decide the direction that they're going to go in this year.
2: When you look at Auburn as a whole, because it, it feels like it's Alabama's to lose in the West, but I think you can make arguments for pretty much everywhere, everyone else at every other spot yeah. in the West. So the ingredient for Auburn to you is what to achieving its ceiling and achieving the best season it can.
7: I think they got to find some, some balance offensively. They got to be able to throw the football with more productivity. You know, Tank Biggs be a monster, but you can't do it alone at, at the running back position. So I, I, think that, um, figuring out a way to, to become more balanced, be more di- dynamic in the passing game is important. Um, but you know, I, Maybe it's not a bad position for Auburn. I mean, traditionally in the years where people haven't expected much, they've actually, you know, surprised people. And this year I'm guilty of it as well. I've kind of, you know, looked at teams like like um, Mississippi State is a big mover, I feel like, this year. Uh, they, they pushed it. Ole Miss made last year, has them in the conversation. Arkansas, like I think we're forgetting about Auburn. So maybe it's a good position to be in, kind of flying under the radar a little bit.
0: Visiting with Chris Doring here from ESPN and the SEC Network. Auburn going into the season year two of the Brian Harson era. You mentioned spring meetings really kind of shifted your yeah. mind on what he was trying to sell with Auburn football. What were you thinking about going into that conversation? Like, what so greatly changed? You mentioned yeah. kind of the way he carried himself in that conversation. I just
7: to me, again, I, going back, it was the it was the warmth that I felt from him. You know, because I, I when you watch interviews sometimes on television, you kind of feel felt a little cold and and uh, lacking personality. But I was just the opposite when I sat down with the guy, and I, I love the the fact that he he met this challenge head on. You know, it, it, there was a coup attempt in the offseason, and he, he won. And so he's got to feel a little emboldened, I think, in this position now. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually excited about what he can do. You know, I think making some key changes on your staff, getting a year under your belt in the SEC is important. But, um, you know, the direction now going forward is one that I, I think they have a guy that, that, that has the ability to rally the troops and get everybody on the same page. The Auburn wide receiver room lacks a good bit of experience. Their most productive
0: wide out in Cedric Jackson doesn't necessarily move headlines for people outside of, of Auburn, so to speak. A couple of new guys coming into the room. When you look at that wide receiver room as a whole and knowing I kill you to the degree that yeah. you do, I mean, what kind of challenges is he walking into? Yeah, man.
7: It's kind of what you talked about a little bit earlier, though, is like, hey, there is no incumbent that you look at as being the number one guy. So you're promoting – Competition, You're promoting the idea of, of, uh, you know, playing time, being up for grabs. I I like that idea. Um, And, again, being a a guy that I know is very detail-oriented, we were very precise with the way we ran routes, proper depth, proper footwork, getting in and out of breaks. You're going to see a lot more refined play at the receiver position because of what I Kill Your Brinks and not only the, the coaching style that he learned, but his playing experience and being able to, to communicate what it actually takes to be successful playing that position in this league.
0: Chris, always a blast seeing you. We love watching you yeah, every day great, on the great SEC to be with you network. guys again, man. Thank thank so much you so fun much. catching up. Yeah, great That's to be Chris with Doran you. Chris Doran here you with us me. on Sports Call.
4: J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM and the Tiger Communications app. JJ Brooks, Ryan and Tom. Shout out to Cam and Brant back inside our studios. If you miss any of Sports Call, you can go back and find it later on our Sports Call podcast. That's right. The Sports Call podcast can be found wherever, Brooks. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. I think we've said it enough times that people know it. But literally anywhere you get a podcast, you can find that Apple Music, Google Play, whatever your preference is. Around the, uh, spo- uh, I'm almost at the Spotify world, but around the podcasting world, you can find our podcast anywhere. We were talking, we were uh, at the Varsity yesterday, great restaurant in downtown Atlanta, uh, talking up the podcast with uh, an Auburn fan that uh, talked to us in line while we were waiting for our food. Anyway, we
0: could spread the word is, yeah. is good, so we want to keep that up and keep that happening. We were talking Auburn on a radio show every day for three hours, and we've got big news regarding that sports call podcast. That's right, the Sports Call Podcast, Brooks. You ready for it? I'm ready.
1: A new sponsor, (laughs) Coca-Cola. And it's not just because we're in Atlanta.
0: Is proud to be the new presenting sponsor of the Sports Call Podcast. So thank you to our good friends over at Coca-Cola. And what a time to make the announcement because it is the world of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia, right across the street. And now they're sponsoring the Sports Call Podcast. So how about that?
1: If we walk in and say, hey, we're y'all sponsor our podcast, do you think they will give us some free stuff? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worth a try. i <laughs> Worth try <laughs> Worth a try. Report a back, try. Tom. Like,
3: uh, where's my life-size cutout here in the world you, of Coca-Cola?
1: The headquarters right here. You can actually negotiate it this time. I know, I know.
3: yeah. Hey, the headquarters is just right a couple blocks away from us. So yeah.
0: if you just missed that interview that we had with Chris Doring of the SEC Network, you could find that on our podcast. So – With that being said, we just chatted with Chris Storing, and what was interesting that he brought up, of course, he was a star wide receiver for the Florida Gators and then had a long NFL career in Steve Spurrier's offense. The other wide receiver alongside him for the Florida Gators was Ike Hilliard, as Chris Storing talked about. They were college teammates, both wide receivers, and now Ike Killyard is the wide receiver coach for our Auburn Tigers.
2: Yeah, and that position is going to be really important uh, going forward because – Kind of as Chris talked about, there's been some talent recruited to the wide receiver position. I think that that has been a, a perception that's faulty because the wide receiver room has not ended up being good the last few years. But you look at the quality of player, plenty of four-star guys coming in there with all sorts of ratings and uh, even dating back a, a few more years, a couple, uh, a five-star guy or two went in there over, over Gus Malzahn's tenure. There's been talent there, but I think there's always just been a disconnect in the development, and I think some of that was scheme fit for a while. And now you're just trying to get a whole new brand of receiver, I think maybe a more physical wide receiver. Uh, You look at someone like Javarius Johnson, I think that's a very talented wide receiver in certain schemes, but you're still trying to figure out how to use him effectively in this scheme. And I think you saw some deep balls where he did find his, his way open last year that The quarterbacks were not able to get him the ball. But regardless, you're still searching for wide receivers. So I. Killiard is a very interesting hire because of his uh, really good success in the NFL. He was great in college, obviously, at Florida. And and so it is a a, a pretty big-name hire at the wide receiver position. I think a lot of people will know who I. Killiard is because of his time in the NFL, in particular with the Giants and the Buccaneers. And so, you know, I, I think that it is a good hire. I think it is a hire to hopefully develop more so. I mean, I think the recruiting aspect can be there with a name like I Killiard, but I think they're really trying to get some development out of the wide receivers because I don't think there's many wide receivers in the last decade or so that you feel like rose above their expectations. I think there's plenty that didn't live up to them, but I would struggle to find you too many that, that went above their expectations out of high school. So I, I think that's – going to be really important for Auburn moving forward is getting more out of that wide receiver room.
0: And figuring out who those wide receivers are going to be. I mean, Chetcher Jackson this season is – uh, your most veteran wide receiver of the bunch. Really excited about Xavier Capers coming back for another year, staying committed to the program. You've got a couple of transfers entering that wide receiver room. But Kobe Hudson was one of your, your highlight guys, and I know he had a couple of miscues uh, throughout his season last year, but he transferred. He's now at UCF, and so it's a brand-new position group. And as Chris Doring was saying, I mean, look, we believe in what Ike your can do, but he's got to get to work. In this first year with those guys,
3: yeah, you got to get to work with them, and uh, you know, hopefully, you'll have at least one guy step up and kind of be that guy. Uh, I think every every wide receiver room, every team with wide receivers usually has that guy. Right now, Auburn doesn't feel like they have that guy, um, so somebody's going to have to step up, and uh, you know, hopefully, Ike Killyard can groom somebody to be. Say it one more time. <laughs> yeah. okay. that, that guy. guy. <laughs>
0: you got to be that guy. Yep, that's important for sure. Well,
2: and I mean, even recently on the last Gus team, you know, you had uh, you had Schwartz there for a while, or you had Schwartz, sure. but because he I was such a, a, a fast player, he wasn't necessarily a fit. So they threw it a lot at Seth Williams. Yeah. And, and Seth Williams was not perfect, but Seth Williams was absolutely the type of guy that you just threw it up to if you had – no other idea about it. So Seth was that guy. He was that <laughs> yeah. guy. So Sammy, uh, and he told the Mississippi guy. State guy about who that guy was,
3: and and showed
2: it to him. So, so one of the more showed epic, like that the more epic inconsequential Auburn plays in a while. Uh, although it definitely was consequential was in that game. But but uh, yeah, no, that was a, a great play, and again, it speaks to There's not been that go-to guy since sure. since Seth Williams, but. Um, You know, it's just a couple years ago. It's not a foreign, you know, long ago concept. But nevertheless, something that that Auburn does need to try and, and figure out this season.
0: Before we get too far ahead as our show continues to wind down on this Monday, let's make sure we take this opportunity to celebrate our birthdays in sports.
4: It's time for today's birthdays in
5: sports.
0: All right, birthdays in sports here today on Monday, July 18th of 2022. Who's got a birthday, Brooks?
1: Well, we were very NBA-heavy end of last week, and we're going to start out very NBA-heavy today, currently turning 25 years old today. As a current center, power forward for the Miami Heat. That's right, it's Bam Adebayo's birthday. All right. Drafted 14th overall in the 2017 NBA draft uh, to the Heat out of the Kentucky Go Cats All-Star 2020. (laughs) What did you say, Tom? Bam. (laughs) 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 Three-time NBA All-Defensive Second Team an SEC All-Freshman team in 2017. Bam Adebayo turning 25 years old. Happy
0: birthday, Bam.
1: Also in the NBA world, turning 51 years old today as a former NBA guard and current NCAA head coach for Memphis, Penny Hardaway, turning 51. All right. Drafted third overall in the 1993 NBA draft out of Memphis. Go Tigers. Four-time NBA All-Star, two-time All-NBA First-teamer, NBA NBA All-Rookie First-teamer, NBA Rookie Challenge MVP, and is number 25 is retired by the Memphis Tigers. Penny Hardaway is 51 years old today. Happy birthday. Hardaway played for Orlando, didn't he? Yep. That's two NBA players from the state of Florida that are celebrating a birthday today.
0: Bam Adebayo with the heat, Penny Hardaway with the magic.
1: You're right, Brooks. Turning 82 years old today is a former MLB infielder and catcher and current special assistant to the commissioner of baseball, Joe Torre is turning 82. Made his MLB debut in 1960 for the Milwaukee Braves, a nine-time All-Star, four-time World Series champion, NL MVP in 1971, Gold Glove winner in 1965, NL batting champion in 1971, and the NL RBIs leader in 1971 as well. Joe Torre is 82 years old today.
0: Perfect, happy birthday, Joe Torre! And then Yankees, great stuff.
1: Braves, also great
0: stuff. (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, Finally, turning 43 years old today as a former NFL wide receiver. It's Dion Branch, drafted in the second round of the 2002 NFL Draft. To the New England Patriots, go Pat's out of Louisville, go Cards. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl 39 MVP, a two-time First Team All Conference USA. Dion Branch, turning 43 years old today. So, happy birthday to Dion! Happy birthday to Joe Torre, Penny Hardaway, Bam Adebayo, and of course, if it's your birthday today, happy birthday to you!
0: Happy birthday, indeed! Again, that's our birthdays in sports here on Monday, July 18th, 2022. Wrap it up, day one of SEC Media Days here in Atlanta. What a fun one it's been. Have a lot of exciting conversations coming up on tomorrow's show and the days that follow here in the ATL. I think we're going to like our setup here this week at the yeah. College Football Hall of Fame. It's been a good first day.
3: Well, It's nice that they've got everybody kind of here together. I mean, we've We've said it before, but, you know, last time we were here we were – ways away in the Omni Hotel and so our guests had to come and find us in Radio Row in a whole different building. So it's nice to be here with everybody.
0: Without a doubt it is. It's really nice uh, to be here talking about what's going on uh, at the College Football Hall of Fame for SEC Media Day. So just a few minutes left here in the program. We do this also each and every day, the very last thing that we do before our show goes off the air is our nightly TV guide. Let's pause one moment and get to it.
4: Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide.
0: All right, it's Sports Call's nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Tonight at 6 o'clock on Movie Max. Riddick.
1: That's a movie. Riddick. Riddick.
2: Riddick. That Ben Diesel, right? Yes. Yep.
1: Is this he is like the, a superhero? No, he's. It's like an alien sci-fi movie. He's he's like an alien bounty hunter, and he, this is like the twenty. What it? It's like the twenty thirteen version of it, um, and there's there's several different. I guess time periods that take takes t- t- takes place in, but he's like an alien bounty hunter, and there he's on an alien world, and aliens are after him, and he's shooting at them. They're shooting back at him. That's the best. There, <laughs> yep. don't watch the movie now. You just got the synopsis there.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, next, we've got Captain Marvel at 6.30 on TNT.
1: Also an alien movie, kind of. It's a Marvel movie.
0: You okay with that one? Yeah,
1: sure. Brie Larson's a fairly good actress.
0: Uh, Copa America action tonight. Peru versus Uruguay. Uruguay. Euro. head in some way. That's uh, Copa America uh, uh, That's the women's Copa America. one
1: just, just letting you know.
0: The Major League Baseball Home Run Derby tonight on ESPN at 7.00. And then TBT action seven o'clock ESPNU sweet home Alabama
1: versus Zip 'em up. I looked them up. This is the first year they've played. It is just players from the state of Alabama. Okay. Like they, okay. And I looked at their roster. There's a couple UAB guys on there. There's a couple uh, Alabama math and science school guys. Um, but there's no no one from Auburn and is no that one from a joke Alabama on the
0: Crimson Tide. No. Or there's like a School of Math and Science?
1: There team. is an Alabama School of Math and Science,
0: yeah. That plays college basketball? That's fascinating. Yeah,
1: well, that, that's what they listed as like their college right below their name. But like, I'm going to have to
2: ask you about the UAB guys off here. There
1: are no no Alabama guys and no Auburn guys on this roster. I think there may be a Troy guy, too.
2: Is Zip-em-up Akron?
1: Yes, they are the Akron, and they're playing the Xavier Regional, so they're
2: playing in Cincinnati.
0: The head coach
1: is Aaron Johnson. His college listed as UAB.
2: Yeah, Aaron Johnson! <laughs> Late two thousands was on the first four team that got pounded uh, by Clemson. He was right, war yeah. number one. He was like five nine, but he was so fast. He had a great assist to turnover ratio. It's too much information that y'all don't want on Aaron Johnson. There's
1: uh, another. UAB. That's the only but, uh, guy I'm no, seeing. UAB no, thirty three. Scroll back down thirty three. See Mississippi State and, and Alabama, Alabama Birmingham, Birmingham. Walter Sharp. Walter Sharp. Six okay. power forward.
2: He, he didn't live up to the hype. He's okay.
1: I think those are the only two UAD uh, guys I saw.
2: Yeah, big Aaron Johnson. I there
1: you it. go. Aaron
2: Johnson got hurt, and it, uh, I think it was in the first four. Can games, Acuna rarely.
0: Jr. win the derby tonight? <sighs> he's got a got
3: Against Alonzo. Uh, Alonzo. Yeah, I don't yeah.
2: think he does. Yeah, I don't
1: think so. But you're
0: asking Alonzo to win it for the third time.
3: I mean, there's some other good hitters. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to oh. be Alonzo. but.
1: I, uh, uh, we've just gotten told that the zip-em-up is actually the Xavier team. Oh. Did Awkward. we say Akron? We did say Akron. Who
0: jumped the gun and said Akron?
1: We, you we, did. We, we kind of, we kind of all made. The I assumption.
0: asked
2: you the question, I asked and I didn't
0: th- answer the question.
2: I'm blame on Brooks then. I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: glad I <laughs> yeah. stayed out of that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's our nightly TV guide, brought to you by our good friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. Are you going to plan on coming back tomorrow, Ryan?
2: Uh, I don't think I have a
1: choice, do I?
0: (laughs) We'll see you here. Uh, Tom, we'll see you tomorrow as well. Oh, yeah. Brooks. Yes. Day one in the books.
1: Day one in the books. What a
0: fun day it was. All right, that does it for today's show. Saban will be here tomorrow. Yes, he will. Oh, boy. Yes, he will. That's straight ahead. SEC Media Day's Day two tomorrow. Four. Great
3: to see the Bear Bryant look alike. Cam
0: Barry, Brant Daughtry back in our studios. And then here. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks shoulders My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.